episode number 66. Now, that number doesn't mean anything to you, but maybe what I'm about to tell you does. Why would that number not mean anything to me? In general well, or in 66, the sports world? Episode 66. Well, we'll get to the sports world. Yeah. We'll do. We'll name it after somebody. Okay. But episode 66, Like I, I saw you interacting with somebody on Twitter about Mitch's 100th show and yes, so forth. that's right. And, and you, you brought up the fact, well, if you consider all the patron shows, yep. he's probably already done 100 shows. Right. But there is some significance to this week. We're recording this on the Sunday for the Monday release. Mm-hmm. The Sunday, the Monday release will be November the 18th. It'll be November the 18th when people get this in all of their podcast apps. Or if you're that other guy who listens, he for some reason gets it on Tuesday and Friday. I don't know how that works. Thank but. you very much for that. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure exactly what that guy was talking about. He's got to wait till Tuesday. Maybe his wife doesn't let him listen on Mondays and Thursdays. Right. He's too emotional. He's on a 24-hour uh, delay for But some I will reason. say this. I don't know if this means anything to anybody. I'm not that sentimental when it comes to this stuff. But if, if this show, 66, is being delivered on November the 18th to everybody's phones and their computers and their apps and wherever they get the, the podcast, well, November the 19th is a significant date in Mitch Unfiltered history. November the 19th, 2018. November the 19th, 2018, the release date of episode number one. Now, when you say number one, is it the one that, like... Number one. Gotcha, okay. The, the f- one that's been listened to in like 75 countries, and that's actually yeah. the truth. Uh, we did we did the practice one, the, the preseason game, the exhibition okay. game that Jason Hamilton and I called the exhibition. We called it we called it podcast zero just because we were testing equipment. We didn't have any guests or we had fun, but we didn't do anything. But the actual episode one where I go through the whole thing right. about what happened and all the all the details of what's gone on in my life, that happened, that dropped on November the 19th, 2018, which Tuesday will mark the one-year anniversary. So anybody wow. who thought that I wasn't going to be able to make it one year like me, I didn't think well, I was, was going to be able <laughs> to. I was going to ask you, what did you think after you did that oh episode? Oh, my God. Oh, after I did that episode? Did you say, like, oh, this is kind of fun i keep up i think i want to keep doing this or do you be eh, i don't know maybe well a after weeks. that episode was so different it True. was yeah. it was not it was not a normal and and for the people that don't know i told kind of my story of the last two or three years on the very first episode if you've come in late or you found out about it and you haven't gone back and listened to episode one i i recommend that you do if you want to know answers to what's gone on in my world a very as honest as i could be I, i'm sure you heard it's raw yeah. You, you heard episode oh, yeah. one, right? Yeah, yeah. It was as it was as honest and forthcoming and transparent yeah. as I could be about my life and the things that I've done wrong and and the things that I'm trying to correct and I've been dealing with kind of quietly. Um, I I don't know after that show whether I thought, oh my God, we're going to do this for a year or five years or ten years or I'm going to go back to radio or I'm going to go mm-hmm. back and do morning show. I I don't know what I thought, but I do know that in in the in the subsequent weeks, like. Episodes two through like 12, I would have said to you, I don't think I can go the long haul with this because it was just too much work. And, I, and I've said this in, a, in public settings before. I think, I think that the, the emergence of Steve Dion kind of saved the day. 
you know who Steve Dion is, right? I, I do, know, yes. I don't know if anybody in our audience knows that, that we have an executive producer. We have a guy who books the shows mm-hmm. and edits the shows and puts the shows together and gets them up online and has them distributed. He does all of that work kind of behind the scenes. Builds the open. He does all Builds the Builds all that stuff, yeah, right. Yeah. I was trying, for the first several weeks and months, I was trying to do it all myself. Yeah. Book the show, host the show, speak with the sponsors, accumulate the sponsors, yeah. do all the billing, everything. And editing it, and you know the the editing process and the distribution process. It's a it's a hardy deal when you're talking about a two hour, three hour. We're not yeah. doing like twenty or thirty minutes of one segment without like like breaks, right? Yeah, and then when you it's edit a sophisticated your, thing. When you edit yourself, I've noticed, and when I edit myself, you're always tougher. You're taking out little breasts, like you sort of like do too much at times. And you maybe get, I, at least I did. And maybe so I just yeah. it's better to have someone else edit it. Because they don't hear it the way you do. You're a little too tough on yourself. I think think to answer your question that I would have thought until Steve came in that this was going to be a short-lived kind of experiment and just to get back out there and I get my my message across and Mm -hmm. do what I did. But then he came in, and I've told this story before, he came in at a crucial moment. I was feeling really burned out and he just happened to send out a tweet or a note or a, a text and said, hey, I'd like to, I know I have another job, but I'd like to get back a... Kind of like you. I'd like to get back in the game. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the whole show type thing. Can I help you? Wait, Would he, you like me to help you? Would you like an employee to do the editing, to do the booking, to do all of the work with the with the distribution and everything? And when that happened, that changed everything. That allowed hmm. me to kind of focus on this and you and sponsors and a little bit of booking, but a lot of note taking, and do my kind of do my thing that I did on the old radio. A little show. more hosting, less production. That's yeah. right. That's right. Did he know you were struggling at the time, or did he just randomly send that out? I mean, did not know. Wow. He just was listening. I guess he just was listening. He can answer that question better than I. He was listening and what whatever. I, I was just I was telling my wife. I was like I, you know. I, we would do the like on a Sunday, like we're right now. We're, we're at four thirty. Maybe maybe Jason and I would would get together at like 6.30 or 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock on a Sunday, I wouldn't have the thing put together and distributed until like 3 o'clock. I was staying up till oh, 3, 4 o'clock yeah, in the that's morning. That's rough, yeah. And it was, it was just hard. It was hard for me. And he's young and he can do it. And so we, I think that was kind of the savior. That's the, that was the tipping point of keeping it, keeping it going. And here we are a year later. A year later. A year later. I mean, are you enjoying it more now that yeah. you have less production? Today? Yeah. I'd like for you to be a little better. <laughs> get in line buddy get in line i'd like i'd like for you to be a you know yeah. a little stronger oh fair enough yeah. as kind of a partner can't argue with that yeah I, I, i've been hoping for the last several weeks yeah. and months that you can you come around at some point yeah but no no yeah I, I i like doing it i like doing it some weeks i like doing it better than others right like this week is interesting because this is going to be a different show than we've done in the last many weeks because there's no seahawks game yeah. There, there's no Huskies football game. <laughs> yeah. There was a Huskies basketball game. Ask me how I enjoyed the Husky basketball game. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you enjoyed it because I didn't see much of it. How'd you like it? Well, <laughs> well, I guess I'm not a subscriber. I'm not allowed to complain. Yeah. I'm not a subscriber to ESPN yeah. Plus at five dollars a month. I don't think anyone is. I don't know anyone well, who's there's got a, it. Well, there's a lot of people okay, there. Well, Come on, the the world ESPN Plus, ESPN Plus subscribers. It's not even on my radar. What what do you get? I with wasn't that? allowed. I, you get you get extra articles. You get you oh. know insider stuff. You for, get extra videos. You get extra live streams. You get a lot more than you get from Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> for its five dollars. But a it, month. it used to be called wasn't it called like ESPN? It was called something else. In ESPN Insider. Insider yeah, I Is think it's the same now, thing now. Uh, probably yeah. Okay, but yeah. now they call it Plus because it involves streaming. 
obviously, with the Washington-Tennessee game. So oh, yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch the game. So we can't even really react to that game. And I was told, hey, Mitch, go out and get uh, Disney Disney Plus and you get ESPN Plus in the package. Do you, know, do you know about Disney Plus, the new thing? I, everywhere I turn do the I last like 10 it? it's days, everywhere. it's everywhere. You can't, like, you can't escape. Is that just like Netflix, another one of these yep. things? It's a streaming platform that you've talked about. How many guests. of these things do people get? Do people get them all? It'll get, yes, they do. Voodoo. Voodoo. Holy I, got, I think we got Amazon, Amazon <laughs> probably Prime. probably have Hulu as opposed to oh, Voodoo. Oh, sorry, Hulu. Yeah. No, Voodoo. Hulu. <laughs> well, isn't Voodoo one of them too? I've never heard of Voodoo. It might be one. Who I knows? think so I have Netflix, Amazon Prime. I pay for every channel on Comcast, and why I'm, I'm missing need, one. Why do you need all of these different streaming services? Why does Why doesn't one just <sighs> do the trick? Well, it'd be nice, but see, so like if you if you're into Star Wars and all the Disney stuff, and then Marvel Universe is in there, yeah, they pulled all their stuff off of the other platforms so they could create their own. They're like, oh no no, that's ours. Why don't we start making money off it? Why is oh. Netflix making money off oh, it? Oh, so now no, Netflix can't play the Disney that's stuff. That's right. It's exclusive to so the So which Disney one, should, I mean, we, I, I tell, I, so what do you watch? Do you have like, I watch, there's like three shows on Netflix. My kids wanted Netflix. They came to us like on one Hanukkah and said, this is what, as one of our Hanukkah gifts we would like, or the big one, I'd like, I'd like Netflix for a year. The big one, it ain't much. Like eight bucks a month. No, the big one meaning my son, my oldest son. I think the big present. No, 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 no. He said, I want, the big guy, want, I want, I want uh, Netflix for a year. I'm like, we really, we've got, yeah. we've got DirecTV, we've got Comcast, we've got the football games. What do you need Netflix? I find myself watching three things. One thing I wouldn't be able to live without, the, the other two I could. I watch the David Letterman series of my shows. Guest. My next guest needs no introduction or yeah, something yeah. like that. It's which good. is kind of sad. It's kind of sad to me. Really? Yeah, I, I don't think he's doing great. Why do you watch it then? Because I love sad. him. I, oh, okay. I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. He's like, I'm a huge admirer. Of you don't his. think he's doing great health-wise? or I don't think, I think he's lost a little off his fastball in his interviews and whatever. Because, huh. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an unbelievable. That's right, you're an expert. I forgot. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I watch that, but I could do without that. I watch Seinfeld in Cars getting coffee or whatever it is. Comedians in Cars, yes. Comedians mm -hmm. in Cars getting I used to watch that online. Now yeah. i got to watch it on Netflix. It's a good show. I could do without that. But I like it. I like those. Depending upon who the guest is, I like those. The show that I that I couldn't do without, I'm sure it's going to go away soon because I'm probably the only person in the world watching it. It's an Alta Cocker show. I don't know if you know Alta Cocker. No. Like, it's for older people. Oh, gotcha. I, okay. I consider myself not as old as I, I seem, but there's a, there's a show called The Kaminsky Method. Have you ever even heard of it? No, never heard of it. Kaminsky. It's called the Kaminsky Method. I think it's on Netflix. I'm sure it's on Netflix. Was that, is it about Clinton's old intern? It's about no. It's no. about it, it's it's Michael Douglas. Do you know who Michael Douglas is? I've heard of him. Yes. Yes. Uh, Michael Douglas and I, I think it's Alan Arkin. They 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 play. He plays an old washed up actor in L.A. Okay. And Alan Arkin plays his old his old publicist and agent and this relationship about growing older and it's funny and sad and poignant and whatever. Yeah. I watch that. That's all I watch on Netflix. Well, there's a lot of content on there. You should branch out a little bit. They have a lot of original programming and a lot of good stuff. Black Mirror is like my favorite show on there. But I do I it. need to now go get Disney Plus so that I can have ESPN Plus? Or should I, I just get ESPN Plus on what, the side? Okay, before this past Husky game, when was the last time you were like, oh, I don't have ESPN Plus? Never. Okay. Not I, one time. I think time. I just answered your question then, all right? <laughs> but this could be the start of a trend. Yeah, this maybe they're the going to start, start putting more stuff on there to get people over. I pay for every channel, including ESPN, ESPN. But I you don't watch those channels. No, but I pay for them, so I should be able to watch anything ESPN puts out. 
I don't, uh, uh, this other platform of ESPN+. Oh, see, now you're, you're, you're yelling and screaming like Mitch Unfiltered listeners. Hey, I'm a Mitch Unfiltered subscriber. Why shouldn't I be able to listen to the patron shows? No, no, no. I'm paying money. The people who get it for free aren't paying money. You're paying money via the cable. I'm already paying for ESPN, yes. Because you pay extra to cable each month That's to be right. able to get the ESPN family. I, I drop like two forty a month to cut to Xfinity. <laughs> like, Jesus, man, can I watch a, a stupid game to watch my team lose, by the way? God. Episode sixty six is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com, and just about all podcast apps. I use Podcast Addict for as long as I have a an Android device, mm-hmm. which is not going to be for much longer. Really? The holidays are coming, and I'm treating myself. I'm just—I just don't know which version. I'm making the leap because yep. everybody that I was loyal to, that were employees of Microsoft, they all have Apple devices. So why shouldn't I? That's right. I, uh, I made the leap a year ago, and I hate to say it because I work at Microsoft. It changed my life. It, it just changed, changed my your life. life. Everything, everything works. Everything's easy. The, it's got an, every app you want. I know Android has a lot too, but I had a Windows phone, so. Oh. I mean, you just download anything. It takes two seconds. Everything works. Am I going to be able to catch on? Is there any differences between like terminology and how you do things on a like copy and paste or whatever on an Apple iPhone versus all my Android devices over the years? Nah, I don't think so. You'll be fine. I mean, copy and paste is like a Microsoft thing anyway, and Apple just sort of adopted it. So, no, nah, you'll be fine. It's not that hard. All right. Yeah, you're good. I'm excited for it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. It holds a charge forever. Like, oh, God. Really? I see you charging your phone right now. You charge it once a day. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like doing Does ads Does it have for word- Wordscapes? Does it have the Wordscapes words- app? Uh, which yes. you told me was a Levy thing, and I found out that you're, fu- you're, you're full of BS. I went to Red Robin the other night. They saw us on it. Yeah. They saw the Levy family on it, and the waitress says to me, our whole staff is, is playing that game. Our whole staff. And I'm like, hold ho- Hold on a second. Hotshot Scott told me in my podcast that this is only a Levy thing, that this isn't the world that's using Wordscapes. So you're wrong about that, just well, so you it's know. It's good to know when you go to dinner with your family, you're all staring at phones because well, you can't stand talking to each other. I mean, you gotta, come on. <laughs> no phones at dinner. Don't you have a rule? Yeah, we pretty much stack them. We stack them. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, good. we stack them. Uh, Mitch Unfiltered, so if you want to be a patron, there'll be another show on Thursday. We'll have Mr. Postseason. We'll have the tail of the tape of the Seahawks-Eagles game. That'll be the 11th game. The Seahawks did not get any help on Sunday. It looked like for the longest time the Cardinals were going to pull it out in Santa Clara and make the Seattle Seahawks the leaders of the NFC West. That's right. And and perhaps the leaders of the free world. Maybe. The The NFC. But, unfortunately, they blitzed. The Cardinals blitzed yep. on that play. 49ers throw a touchdown and pull the game out against the Cardinals. Any good news out of that game that you saw? Good news meaning, like, did Garoppolo look like someone who could be exposed? No, well, Garoppolo played very well in that game. He threw for over 400 right, yards. and four touchdowns, but he they also had, had two more, picks. I, I would say that the, 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 the encouraging thing that comes out of that game is just the fact that they struggled, that they don't look as unbeatable as they did earlier in the year. They certainly don't look as ferocious defensively. Kyler Murray, I mean, they didn't have a lot of yards, but Kyler Murray moved the ball up and down the field. Mm-hmm. They scored touchdowns. They did things. There were injury eight to root for injuries, but the Niners had more injuries in the game against I think that there would I, – I'll stay with my overall assessment after last Monday night. I felt like this was going to be a very difficult game for the Niners – and I just wondered whether whether they were exposed, whether what's going to happen when they see their blood, their own mm-hmm. blood for the first time. This is what I said to you during the patron shows this week. 
I think the, the, the 49ers saw their blood last Monday night for the first time. And I'm not so sure they will ever be quite the same as the as the the juggernaut 7-0, 8-0-6-0-49ers. I think they've come down to earth. It was proven on Sunday against the Cardinals. And now tell everybody who they play the next three games, the next well, three opponents. You got the Packers, Ravens, and Saints, right? I yeah. don't know if it's that that's the right order, but, but yeah. Those are the three. Three tough games. So have fun oh with that. Oh my God. And I was looking at the Seahawks schedule. I don't know. Rams are five and four. I don't know. I guess I'm the Seahawks schedule looked really difficult to me maybe a few weeks ago. But does it look a little easier now? The Seahawks schedule. I mean, I don't know. The no. Rams scare you. Yeah. Still. Yeah, of course. Right. Rams. Rams can be very good. We'll see what the Rams have when they play on Sunday night. What but are the Eagles? Five and five. Five and five. Yep. Right. And the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> Dropped another game. The Atlanta Falcons have decided to show up. Ever since you said they have a ton of talent, you don't know why they're good. They heard you. Well, they beat the Saints a week ago. Yeah. Then they turned around and went to Carolina and won. And now you wonder, you know, one of the, you know the the softest spot of the 49ers' remaining schedule was supposed to be the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> yeah, that was supposed to be the easiest game they have left. Maybe the Falcons are oh. rejuvenated and they're going to come out to San Francisco and beat the 49. Who knows? When right. that when that game happened. Are we in the tea still, by the way? Is yeah, we're in the tea. Oh, okay. We haven't started yet. <laughs> I was just Should I tell you who's on the show and we'll start? Let's do it. I think that uh, you'll recognize out of the four guests, you'll go two for four. Okay. You tell me if you recognize the name Rick Neuheisel. I've heard that name, yes. Have you ever heard of 1992 Masters champion Fred Couples? That name I've heard of. First episode, his first uh, appearance on, mm-hmm. on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 66. Oh, it took great. Him 66 shows. To to say all right, I'll I'll come on your I'll come on your little podcast. Sixty six weeks, you know it's been more than sixty six shows. He's had two opportunities a week to come on, and he's been snubbing you ever. Well, it's fifty two weeks. Yeah, because this is the year anniversary. Oh yeah, in about fifty two weeks. I think we just went through that. The oh Tuesday yeah, it is the, is the one, one year anniversary. anniversary, and I think there's fifty two weeks in the year, but I'm not sure. I'm so happy you, you have him on. So I, you, I know yeah, you adore I love, him. I love yes. Fred Couples, Rick Neuheisel. Uh, the name Rick Johnson, you won't know. He's a lawyer in Cleveland who's regularly bumped heads with the NCAA. Okay. And he's got some really vivid thoughts and comments about this whole James Wiseman story. Oh, yes. He's gone head-to-head with Jay Billis. He's fighting with him in Twitter. He's fighting with Seth Davis. Anybody who fights with Seth Davis, I like. He's fighting with Seth Davis on Twitter. He's going to point the finger at who he thinks is behind all this, and you're going to love the name. I'm not going to tell all you. All right, all right. He, he thinks there's one – he doesn't know for sure, but he's speculating that he thinks all, all indications point to one person who's behind the whole mess, Well, I mean, the I've, whole James Wiseman mess. I've always wondered how that kind of stuff comes out. And well, who, who is that person, by the way? I'm not, not going to tell no, you no, who that person I don't mean is. specifically, but yeah. in general, who's the person that feels like they have to go run? Rat. Yeah, who is that? Rat. Who is, if, if you it's, had that info, would you rat? Somebody who, who feels spurned by the player, maybe? Yeah. Well, let, let me just put it this way. I won't tell you the, the person's name, but what, what a lot of people don't know about the James Wiseman story is that he notified the NCAA in April and May before he was even a student at Memphis, before his freshman season started. He notified of them, notified them of this payment from Penny Hardaway to his mom. Oh. The NCAA knew. They looked at it, and they certified him. They said, you're okay. They cleared him to play, and they closed up the file. They do this with thousands of athletes of all the different sports. Yeah. They do this, and once they close your file, as this attorney will tell you, they never reopen it unless somebody gives them reason to reopen it. 
So who would have given the NCAA reason to reopen? It would be somebody that felt spurned by the fact that James Wiseman went to Memphis and perhaps didn't go to his school. It might be somebody who he committed to go to his school and then went back on his oral commitment that has brought this whole thing back up. But when you say a reason to reopen it, like, like there was new information more than what James Wiseman already reported himself? That's what I don't know. Okay, all right, all right. I'll listen. I guess I have to listen you now. You listen. All right. You listen. You listen, listen to, to what this they, I do, show. I, well, <laughs> this cockamamie <laughs> guest is going to go going to go after Jay Billis. He's going to go nice. after Seth Davis, and he's going to go after the guy that he thinks blew the whistle or reopened this thing. And you, everybody loves anybody who goes after that guy. Okay. I'm not going to tell you who that guy gotcha. is. All right. And then the final guest, you won't know him by name, but I think is a, a fascinating guy, a guy named Kevin Tyson, spelled T-I-C-E-N. Kevin Tyson... Went to Interlake High School. Oh, my wife went there. There you go. Is that right? Yes. Interlake, Interlake grad right there. Interlake High School. For all I know, they went to school together. Oh, they went I to hope the they prom. Didn't date. They went to the oh se- senior prom. Uh, Kevin Tyson went to Interlake High School in the mid 90s. Did she go in the mid 90s? It was ni- class of 93. Yeah. Oh, he definitely went. Oh, he, he definitely was at school with her. Oh, boy. He walked on to the Washington baseball team. He was a baseball player. Walked onto the to the team, made the team, finally played like a senior year at catcher. They win the Pac-10, they win the Pac-10 conference as a baseball team. He goes into semi-pro or pro ball in the in the Angels organization, and then finishes like everybody else and comes out and looking for something to do. Gets a job at the Seattle Sports Commission, and falls in love with the story of the 1917, finds out and falls in love with the story of the 1917 Seattle Metropolitans. Mm. Do you know who the 1917 Seattle Metropolitans were or are? Well, didn't they eventually move to Milwaukee? Is that, or is that the wrong team? No, this That's, is a hockey team. Oh, I thought it was baseball, no. so I guess I don't. No, yeah, you're on baseball, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He knew nothing about baseball, but he found out about the 1917 okay. Seattle Metropolitans who were, the answer to the trivia question, the first ever American Stanley Cup winner. Oh, interesting. Seattle Metropolitans. Hockey. Had no idea. He was like, oh my God, this is too good of a story. The World War, the war was going on, World War One. This is unbelievable. This is like Hoosiers. Yeah. So he starts pitching to all these authors that he can find. Somebody's got to write the book yeah. about the world, the, 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 the Metropolitans of 1917. There's like storylines that somebody will buy this to make it a movie. It's so good. It's so rich and, and fun. So he starts calling people. He can't get a response. No author will, will even entertain. So you know what he did? Hmm. He wrote the book. Did he? He wrote the book. Good and the him. book has now ended up in Robert Redford's hands. Oh, it's now yeah. being pitched to, to different people. But he, he runs South by Southwest Film Festival, doesn't he? It's I don't Robert know. Redford? I, yeah, I, I know who he is, but I don't know that he runs South by Southwest. Not, not a bad guy to get in the, in the hands of if you want to get something anyway, made. This That's guy, so this cool. baseball guy, this yeah. local Interlake guy decided I'd never written anything in my life. I'm writing the book. If no one else is going to write <laughs> yeah. the book, I'm going to write the book. He's going to tell you about the 1917 Metropolitans. He's going to tell you about the experience of writing the book. He's going to tell you that the book is was pitched to Robert Redford and other Hollywood types to see if we can get it on the big That's screen. So cool. All based on the 1970, the hockey team they played in an arena right next to where the Fairmont Hotel is on Fifth and University, the old Olympic Hotel yeah, in yeah. downtown Seattle. There was an ice arena there for that seat, sat 2,500 people in the early 1900s, and they won the Stanley Cup in 1917. Amazing. They're the first American team, non-Canadian sure. team, to win the Stanley Cup. And he wrote the story. He wrote the book. That's a great story. He didn't ask for my wife's number, did he, by chance? During he the already had it. Oh, he already had it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, foiled again. Uh. 
Before we begin episode uh, 66, officially hotshot, paying homage to our partners that make this whole thing possible, the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage. I'm hearing from listeners that they've spent time with Jordan Flowers or some member of the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage team. I was at the Monday night football viewing party the other night and two different patrons approached me to tell me how easy and profitable the refi process was with Jordan. I think Mike said he pulled out 60 grand in his refinance, a quick seven to ten minute chat is all it takes with the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage at 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and the originator of the Evervestment.com, a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of the Evergreen clients have, but still want to grow our money for our retirement or our life savings. Check them out. Evervestment.com. That's E-V-E-R-V-E-S-T-M-E-N-T. Dot com. Zeke's Pizza now with a new location in Woodenville. That's number 17. Whether it's at home with Zeke's door-to-door delivery or one of their 17 locations, Sports Pizza Craft Beer, a true blue Northwest company, an underrated spot to regularly watch the Seahawks or the Huskies. How about the Huskies basketball program? The Cougars or anyone else, Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniel's Broiler, you know by now the latest edition of the Daniel's family of world-class steakhouses we celebrated an unbelievable night on Monday with the Seahawks over the 49ers in the Rickhouse Whiskey Bar right near the Paramount Theater. It's special occasions that make Daniel's Broiler great. World-class steakhouses. Episode number 66 starts right now. Unfiltered. Remember the Jadavion Clowney fumble recovery, Jaron Reed sack, fumble recovery, touchdown. Changed the whole season. They are down 10 nothing. The Niners have the ball. It's Monday night. Everything that everybody expected in San Francisco is happening. The place is on its ear. You can hardly hear yourself think. The NFC West is literally over on that drive. And yet, without hardly a first down, it's 10-7. Unfiltered. If the best team in the country so happen to have two bad days and they lost two games, but you watch them in the other 10 and they're beating teams by 70 points and you're like, that's the best team in the country three losses four losses how many losses at what point do you look at what they've done on the field to determine whether they deserve to be so i'll go with the first part of what you said it's the second part that i have a problem and i think the second part should be just as important as the first part who have you played where have you played them and who have you beaten and the answer to those three questions are nobody nobody and at our place mitch is unfiltered Episode number 66. I thought it was going to be the show where we declared that the Seattle Seahawks are leaders of the NFC West. Yeah, because they got the tiebreaker. It would have been perfect. But they blitzed Buda Baker from Bellevue High School up the middle, leaving the middle of the field open, and the Niners hit the guy on the drag or on the – on the slant, slant yeah. and he went right up the middle for the touchdown. And the Niners survived the Cardinals. I thought the Cardinals were going to beat, were going to beat the 49ers and and leave the Seahawks in first place in the NFC West. Sixteen to nothing. I was loving, oh, it. My loving God. it. And then it felt like the Niners got sparked, like they did against the Seahawks too. Yeah, right? That big play was the the wide receiver screen that went like 55, 57 yards. Yeah, and got them back in it, and, and then they scored real quick, thing. and it was sixteen yeah. seven. 
All right, well, the Niners still lead the NFC West, and the Seahawks are still in a wild-card position. Don't forget, episode 66P will be on Thursday morning for the patrons out there, and we will uh, we will go through it all. Mr. Postseason will be on that. The tail of the tape for the Eagles game will be on that, and and we'll, uh, we'll hit it. Uh, no free tacos at Taco Time this week because of the buy, but you can bet your bottom dollar. I will be there as I am every Tuesday. Every Tuesday I have my lunch. I take my glasses, I take my phone, my non-Apple phone, I do my Mr. Playoffs, my Mr. Postseason, it's my ritual, I won't get any free tacos, but I will be at Taco Time on Tuesday, one chicken crisp taco that you'll make fun of because I put a little ranch on it. One chicken burrito, one Arnold Palmer. What's so funny about but no, that? But you know what's funny about it is that when you posted the picture of your tacos, they both had special order on them. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. No yeah. tomatoes or no something. No, 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 no okay. everything, just extra and stuff. And then I love that other people like started piling on as well. Like, what is this guy? Can't you just eat the taco the way it comes? And then you said, well, no, I actually add something extra. You want ranch on it. You're not being picky. Right. You're actually- well, I don't know. If you, if, you think it's, if you think the fact that I like to add a little bit of light ranch on no. it, makes me picky then i'm picky but then people started saying ranch on a taco no no not people started saying you started no it actually wasn't me yes it was you were criticizing me for putting ranch on a taco that's not true i was criticizing you for having special orders what's wrong with ranch on a taco you're asking the wrong guy i think it sounds kind of good people were outraged i'll find i'll go back and find i know they were outraged why do people have to dissect i know i just sent a simple little picture of a taco in a burrito and an Arnold oh, Palmer iced tea. By the way, they have great ice at Taco Time. The best ice, yes. Unbelievable ice at Taco Time. Mm-hmm. My several napkins, my fork. I was, I was, I had my phone there. I got my glasses. <laughs> yeah. I do the Mr. Postseason. I get ready for the Thursday show, the 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 P episode. I send out a picture. Hey, I'm at Taco Time. Come, come, join me for my free talk for your free taco. And I just get, I just get <laughs> killed over the fact that there happens to be a little special tag. Oh yeah. I'm gonna take this. I'll just take the special. Yeah tags off mr special special order i want it this way you can't just get it the way it comes it's funny <laughs> i love that it annoys you more it, than it drives me freaking I know. insane that's what i love the most why about it. why do why why does this bother me so much but i'll, I'll go ahead i'll defend my, i'll bite i'll defend <laughs> right, exactly. myself you have to i'll defend myself it. first of all <laughs> i actually it's actually the only place that I actually put a ranch on my taco. I have never in my life put ranch on a taco any time before that or any time since that at any other venue in my house when we make tacos, whatever. Yeah. If I go to any other restaurant and get a taco, it's the only place. I just want you to know, I don't know if this makes it better. It's the only place. And for some reason, because of the shredded lettuce and the tomato, the, it's kind of a little salad that's in your taco. Sure. I thought one day I was standing there. I actually think I saw somebody in front of me go, I'll have some uh, ranch in that taco. I was like, hey, that's a hell of a good idea. Yeah. I'll do that too. And I like it. Is that a big... <laughs> I don't uh, personally. It sounds good. I, I I'm not. I, I think it would be totally. I don't see fun. the big deal. I think it's just funny that you had because we always talk about you kind of being picky, and then both your tacos were special order. But before we knew the ranch so thing, so they're special we, order. We thought you were being difficult, but really you weren't. It's what, the opposite. What, no, why do you say that? You're what's, not being what's, difficult. What's the difference between saying okay, I don't want tomatoes, so they make it special. Yeah, they take something off. And, and and having them add something, there's it's, it's the it's one action. It's it's different. No, it's not because you don't care for something. It's like eh, just eat it the way it comes. It's it's different. If you were being picky, like oh, I don't like lettuce. But in or terms of like- the process of preparing the taco oh, yeah. at Taco Time, it's, there's no difference. Yes, either they're, taking something off or adding it, something. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's more about action. you being it's one action. It's more about you being picky, which is the funny part.
But you're not. You're adding ranch to it, so now I can sleep. I love that it was annoying you. (laughs) It still is annoying you. I know. It's so funny. All right. Episode 66. Remember Andy Heck? (laughs) Oh, from Notre Dame? Yes. Where did he play? He played for the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks. Yeah, he played tackle for the Seattle Seahawks. First round pick, I think. He wore number 66. Remember Pete Kendall? Pete Kendall from Boston. Boston College. That's right. Yeah. Boston College. My wife went there too. All these guys know my wife. God. <laughs> uh, he played guard for the Seahawks, wore number 66. Remember Daniel Teo Nesheim? Huskies. Huskies, 66. Yep. Defensive lineman, I do believe. Uh, you won't remember, but you should know the name Rick Redman. Mm. One of the all-time Husky greats from the 1960s, a linebacker that wore number 66. I know his son, Scott, who's a hell of a nice guy. I like to play golf with him every once in a while. Scotty Redman, they're in the con- uh, construction business. Uh, there's the great Ray Nitschke. Did you did you send out a picture of Ray Nitschke in, on Twitter? Did I you s- airdrop Ray Nitschke? To Steve Dion, as a matter of fact. Well, he he's was so tr- young, he wouldn't even know who Ray Nitschke is. He was trying to predict who 66 is going to be, so I had to just send my own kind of personal... I saw a picture of Ray Nitschke yeah. come from your Twitter. That's I, didn't right, really, yeah. I didn't really understand it. Yeah. It was like ranch dressing. I didn't really understand that was, it. <laughs> that, that was my offering. That was my offering to him. Like, he had his suggestion, and I had my oh, suggestion okay. of who I would pick. Yeah. Well, I think his suggestion is going to be the right one. Well, yeah, one, I right? think so, too. I but, mean, how can you turn him away? But Ray Nitschke would have something to say about it. He was a tough guy, right? Ray Nitschke? I mean, I don't remember him, but I've seen old footage. Oh, my God. Kind of a badass. Oh, yeah. 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 One of the greatest defensive players of all time. Uh, part of those Green Bay Packer legendary team, 66, right? Ray Nitschke. Maybe maybe we can name it Ray Nitschke if you don't like hockey, but there's a hockey guy that wore 66. It's one of the greatest of all time. I guess Ray Nitschke on some level is one of them. So where do we start now that the Seahawks didn't play, the Huskies football team didn't play, Damn. and the Huskies basketball team played, but we weren't allowed to watch it because of ESPN, <laughs> ESPN Plus, Not and allowed. I didn't spend the $5. Yeah. Uh, where would you like to start? I would I would suggest that we start with the biggest sports story since the last time you and I sat down. What's the biggest sports story in the world? And it's not close. There's one story that's yeah. bigger than all other stories since the last time you and I sat across from each other for the uh, for the podcast. What is it? I have it down to two. I, w- I want to laughingly say Kaepernick's workout is capturing oh, okay. the nation. All right, it's on there if you want to talk about that. Yeah, it's on my but list. But I think the starting quarterback for Alabama going down is big. Yeah, that's not it. And I'm still missing it. Yeah, of course you are. You, Ru- just, you just don't realize that we haven't done a show since it happened when I tell you what it is. Russell Wilson in Mexico with it's his wife dominant. playing soccer. It's, is that, did that? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about that later. Jesus. <laughs> Have a taco, brother. I know. I love the guy, but he's just so annoying. He's so annoying, but I'm glad uh, we have him. All right, sorry. I what guess makes I him it. so annoying? Because he's just so oh, wholesome, so nice. He's just so like a sweet. robot. Like, he's just a robot the way he talks. A-Rod was kind of that way, too, but a little less likable. It looks like Russell says things that he thinks a human would say. In those moments, you know, and yeah, he's he's, there. he's our MVP I know. quarterback. I, I love the guy. They, they have I a chance him. to go back to the Super Bowl this year because of that guy. So let, you know, let him play. So- he played soccer, and you're you're. Yeah, I'll he tell you about soccer. it. Yeah, I'll tell you about right. it. But I'm, I'm missing the big story, I guess. Miles Garrett. Oh, that's right. Isn't that, that was... the biggest story in the sports world? Miles yeah, Garrett. You're totally right. Yeah. It happened on Thursday night, Thursday right? Thursday night football. And we did a show on Wednesday night for Thursday, so we haven't we haven't discussed Miles Garrett, and I'm not sure that I have anything kind of revolutionary to say. I don't think I'm going to say much. I'm going to say one thing that you haven't heard a lot. You may have heard it, but you haven't heard a lot. It's going to probably irritate people, Okay. but it's, it's me. But I'll start with you. I'll throw the ball to you. Miles oh, okay. Garrett takes the guy's helmet off, the quarterback's helmet, and – uses it as a weapon, gets thrown out of football for the rest of the year at least in the playoffs. By the way, I love how they say that. I love how the NFL says that Miles Garrett has been suspended for the rest of the year and the postseason. 
Uh, <laughs> Are they doing hold, hold, sex? Uh, or Are the Browns? Wait a second. <laughs> Do I need to recheck? Does Mr. Postseason need to recheck yeah. the AFC standings? What, yeah. How many postseason games is Miles Garrett going to miss? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Miles Garrett is a huge story. What did you think when you saw it? What do you think in the aftermath? Is everybody uh. is everybody on the same page on this? It was pretty sickening to see him swing that helmet. Now, I, I've seen guys swing helmets at other guys, but they typically had a helmet on the other guy, which doesn't make it right, but at right. least it's sort of a fair fight. Right. Swinging that, it's like a, it's like a hollowed-out bowling ball at someone's cranium is so yeah. – especially not just somebody. It wasn't you or me. It's a guy in the NFL who's right. insanely strong. Right. It could have just absolutely killed him. But then I went and watched it again. I, I kind of watched – I wanted to see what precipitated it, what yeah. set him off. Yeah. And the quarterback was trying to pull Miles Garrett's helmet. Well, off. let's let's go back to the very beginning. The question that I'll first ask when you look at the replay was Miles Garrett like putting all of his weight on the quarterback and not letting the quarterback free. Was it was there any was there any funny business going on while he was lying on the quarterback that would precipitate the quarterback then trying to get the helmet off? Or was was it just a, a clean, regular attempt at a sack? I what think would you was, say? I think it was more a clean attempt okay. at a sack. You, you didn't see any kind but of, even if I'm going to lie here on top of this guy and I'm not going to let him out. I'm going to give him the business. Maybe. Maybe there was, right. but that doesn't excuse. In football, there's like an unwritten rule. And I talked to a guy who played in the NFL about it uh, yesterday, as a matter yeah. of fact. Yeah. And he, and he agreed with me. If you take someone's helmet off, you're asking for a fight. You, that, that's just like a golden rule. Pulling, pulling someone's helmet off I completely on the football agree. field is I completely agree. I'm, I'm just, I'm merely trying to cover all of our bases. Yeah. As, as you'll see so, when I give you my, my spiel. I have a spiel on this, but I'm waiting for you to finish. So the NFL, you saw what happened. Miles Garrett's now the world's worst human being. That's he's right. Being, he's being with no record in the past, by the way, right? He hasn't been arrested or all. Well, that he's he's got a record of some unsportsmanlike penalties okay. and and things on the field. I don't know, and I'll get into that. I don't know about his life off the field. I don't know what kind of guy he is. I'll get to that in a second. But he's he's now the world's worst guy, and this will live with him for the rest of his life. Do you remember when Robbie Alomar, the second baseman, spit yeah. into the umpire's face? Uh, I mean, we've had we had incidents where really Ugliness. ugly incidents where the, the, at it, the palace they're never at the palace. That was ugly. Ron Artest was it? Meta World Peace. A meta World Peace. Doing yeah. everything but looking for some world peace that night, right? Yeah. Ironically. Yeah, and then there was the other guy. Yeah. Um, any other comments before I go through my spiel on this? No, I just think that he's he's being vilified because it, it looked ugly at first glance. Right. But he, he, you're asking these guys to go out there and kill each other for 60 minutes, and then so uh, do I sense you're feeling bad badly for Miles Garrett? I don't know if I feel badly for him, but I think it's unreasonable to think that these guys won't sometimes lose their temper in a game it's where funny. they're asked to now, kill people. We can disclose right here that you and I have not talked about this. It's funny that you should say that because people are gonna when they hear what I have to say about it, they're gonna say, "Oh, here's Mitch being Mitch. This is the new Mitch." And they're going to say, well, Hotshot kind of said the same thing. That that was unrehearsed, right? Of course. I didn't know what you were going to say. What, people think that we talk off this <laughs> outside of the, the mics? I mean, come on. What, do we sit down and rehearse our bits? I, I have a few observations, most of which are, are observations you've read or heard from everybody else. There, there's no reinventing the wheel here. But I do have a last comment that I will make that kind of goes along with what you just talked about. Uh, number one, and I'll make these in, in order. They're in order of importance. Garrett's actions on the field were reprehensible, beyond reprehensible. It really was assault on a football field. He took a helmet yeah. and, and, and tried to, with force, really injure a guy without a helmet on. I mean, it was, it was terrible. 
It was beyond uh, just about anything I've ever seen on a football field before. And number two, I'll say there would not have been a punishment within reason. I mean, if they threw the guy out for the rest of his life, I would have had a problem with that. But there would not have been a punishment that came from the NFL that I would have thought was too penal. Hmm. from the NFL. I didn't think that when they suspended him right the next day for the rest of the year and the playoffs, um, I had no problem with it. I thought whatever they decide, why, are you saying that you didn't like the the penalty? The rest of the year seems a little harsh, yeah. Too harsh. Five games, six games, something like that. There wasn't a penalty that would have been too hard on on him, in my estimation, unless they had said, okay, like he's never he, or, like yeah. like Ray Rice or wh- whatever it is that you can't play anymore. You're out. You're out of the league. Other than that, I was okay. Number three, I'm going to echo what you just said. The fact that Mason Mason Rudolph is the is the quarterback's name. The fact that Mason Rudolph did not get suspended for one game really irritates me. Uh, of course, he didn't do what Miles Garrett did, but he did. He was the instigator based on what you just talked about, trying to get the guy's helmet off. He deserved, to me, there was no question about it, he deserved to be penalized. He deserved at least a one-game suspension. And for the one guy to get the rest of the year and the guy who kind of instigated the fight to get nothing seemed wrong to me. You agree with that or disagree with that? For sure. I definitely – no, but I'm trying to picture this. Let's say he tries to pull his helmet off on the ground and then Garrett does nothing. Would he? St- would you still want that quarterback to get suspended for a game for that that same action? But but Garrett's reaction was was a nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? If if he just did that to him, tried to get his helmet off, didn't, or it was the exact same action. I'm wondering, is it is it? Are we more outraged that there was no yeah. suspension? Be- I, I, I think because of what it led to. I think we're more outraged what it led to. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. I think his actions, Mason Rudolph's actions, led to a, a really ugly scene on the football field. Should that matter, though? Should it, should it matter to Mason I Rudolph? I think on some level it should matter. I'm not asking for two, three, four, five games. I'm saying yeah. he should have been suspended a game. Something. There yeah. should have been a kind of a symbolic, a symbolic punishment to the guy who kind of started the whole thing. Uh, he tried, you, you even said, you just got finished saying, that when you try to get your your opponent's head when you start taking you talk to your NFL friend when you start taking your NFL player's helmet off that's 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 a fight that's a fight all right then he, right. then he instigated a fight then what you're saying is he instigated a fight and he ought to be suspended for yeah. it. one I, game I'm fine with one game one, one game and now the part that uh, will sound kind of soft or biased but it's just the way I feel uh, over the last three years of my life and that is that I, I don't know Miles Garrett um, I am I am all for everything that the NFL did to punish him. Uh, he could be a horrible guy. I, maybe you would tell me he's a horrible guy with a checkered past, littered with poor choices and deplorable behavior. And I, I don't know who he is. He could be the world's nicest guy off the field. I don't know that. He, maybe he visits Children's Hospital every Tuesday, like Russell Wilson, or he you know he's a he's a philanthropic guy and gives money. I, I have no I have no idea. Here's what I do know, and it's kind of what you just said. And that is the NFL is a vicious profession. It's a vicious. We love the NFL, right? Yep. We love the NFL because of its kind of unparalleled dose of ferocity on the. We want those guys to go at it, yep. right? But then we get all our noses out of joint when something kind of go, when somebody goes over the line. We want them to ride the fine line without going over the line. 
And all I would just say is as it pertains to the character assassination of the guy. And I know people can say, here's Mitch. He's just being Mitch now over what's happened in his life for three years. And I guess, yeah, you're right. You're, it's, it's, it's shaped me. It's okay? okay if that's changed you. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the way I view it's the way yeah. I view the world. Okay. Again, if he if there are all kinds of incidents in this guy's past of poor behavior on if he's been in jail if he's if he's been arrested ten different times I don't know if but he was Vontezi perfect right Vontezi what did I call him Vontez perfect Vontez book now if he had that record that would be different right? it, might, it might be different okay but I, I just I just have a hard time with the character assassination yeah. of the guy, determining that this guy is a bad, bad, bad dude for the rest of his life. We're going to only judge him on this one instant where he snapped. We're asking these these six foot six, 350 pound, incredible behemoths of men to play on the edge and yep. be emotional and, and hit guys harder. We want all that, right? Bigger, faster, But, the, but then when one guy snaps, and I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not excusing his actions. Please don't take this as excusing his actions. As I said, his actions were deplorable. He should have been thrown out of the game. He should have been thrown out for the rest of the year. I get all that. It's the character assassination. It's for the rest of his life, we're going to look at him as a bad human being because he let his emotions get the better of him in one instance on a football field. I've got a problem with that. I got a problem with all of us wanting the intensity that we want, yeah. but then when one guy goes over the line, we'll never look at him the same way again. That seems, again, yeah, I'm a guy who fell, and I don't want to be judged. When I go to my grave, I don't want to be judged on one thing. I want you to use that and judge me on the full compilation of my work in my life, okay? And if this guy is a good guy and philanthropic and does other things that makes him a nice guy, those things ought to be considered. I, I have a, a real difficulty saying we're, we're going to write Miles Garrett off as a bad human being because he snapped on a football field where we're asking him to play, to, to ride the fine line of emotion and not go over. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. It's We're asking these guys to go be barbaric, to be savages out there. Right. And then we're... We're outraged when they lose their temper. The guy I was talking to said he's seen that at practice, by the way, never in a game. He's seen guys pull other guys' helmets off and try to hit them with mm -hmm. it at practice. It happens. It's football. Guys lose their tempers all the time. So do you think he should be reinstated for next year? Like, he's fine. He's out the rest of this year, but next year, totally fine. I don't know. I, I really haven't given it much thought as to how much longer. How many games are left? He's, he's, he's losing, mm -hmm. what, six weeks of his salary? Uh, I think maybe... Maybe we should put that decision off to see how he handles these next six weeks. Maybe we, we, we bring him into the NFL office and we say, hey, Miles, um, we'd like you to, to really represent the NFL over the next six weeks well. We want you to go out and maybe go to classrooms and say, you know, t talk a little bit about your experience. I mean, he did come out. Now, it might have been an agent speaking. It probably was. But he came out right away. I think it was even right after the game that night and said, I, I, what I did was wrong. He hasn't... He hasn't um, he hasn't fought the, the the suspension. His agent isn't appealing the suspension. He's pretty much falling on the sword and saying, hey, I, I messed up, which I kind of like. So let's see how he behaves and how he handles this over the next six or eight weeks and into the offseason and then make a decision as to what we do with him at the start of next year. All right.
No, I, I like it. I, I'm with you. It's just sad that he's now the worst human on the planet. All of a sudden, people are just going after him. Maybe somebody from Cleveland would say, Mitch, go back and look at his life. He, I mean, he's got, he's got this domestic violence issue and this, this, this. I don't know. Yeah. I, again, if those, are, if those are things that are a part of the Miles Garrett story, well, then, I, then I, I, we reconvene on how we look at him. I'm just talking about using this isolated instance as – the end-all, be-all of a 25-year-old or 26-year-old's life. He's a terrible human being because he snapped on a football field and threw his helmet at another guy's head. I have a problem with that. He okay. should feel you know, like Colin Kaepernick. I do, but he should be the luckiest. He should. I know he's not feeling lucky these days. He's so lucky. Why is he lucky? Because Mason Rudolph didn't end up in the hospital with a. With, well, yeah. Yeah, when he swung it. Yeah. He hit him with the open part of the yeah. helmet. Some people said he was just trying to. They said on Saturday Night Live last night that they were. He was just trying to put the helmet back on him. <laughs> <laughs> just in a, in a fast motion. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty funny. Colin Kaepernick's uh, workout. How do you like it? Well, Colin Kaepernick's workout with the NFL gets canceled. He decides he's going to do it all on his own across town. At a high he school. He doesn't like the wave. They asked him to sign a waiver. That would not allow him to make any employment claim against the league in the event that he's not signed as a result of this workout. He didn't want to sign that. And then they said no media and they wanted the Atlanta Falcons video people to record it and then they were going to edit it. And he was afraid, oh, they're just going to edit it and make me look bad. They're going to only yeah. show my back. I, I don't, there's too much control. They want too much control. I'm canceling it. I'll do it across town. I'll invite all the media in, transparency. Nothing to hide. We'll film yep. it, whatever, and you can come and see it. So he's getting a little bit criticized in a lot of circles because – He's a control freak, and he has to have everything his way, and here's another instance of that. Well, I can understand him being a little leery of the NFL. I mean, he, he did sue them and, and win for collusion, so I could see where he wouldn't trust the NFL. And I did hear something interesting from uh, his lawyer, Mark Garagas. Maybe you've heard of Mark Garagas. Of course, yeah. I heard of Mark Garagas. O.J. Simpson trial. Was he part of that? Yes, damn straight he was. Garagas was? Yeah. Okay. He was a young, young attorney. He was part of it, yeah. So he said, well, he didn't say it, but he sort of alluded to the fact that there's a potential second round of litigation coming, and the NFL wanted to offer this workout because they thought Colin wouldn't take it. And they'd say, well, look, he doesn't even want to play anyway. Why are we going to pay this guy? He doesn't want to play football. That's why they gave him five days, because they thought that he couldn't pull it together or he just wouldn't do it. So you were talking about it maybe being a sham. Yeah, maybe it kind of was a little bit of a sham on the NFL. They were just trying to cover themselves of course. for this second round of litigation. Of course. They don't want the guy in the league. Yeah. They don't want, they don't want the guy in the league. Uh, you know, the question that I don't really know the answer to is, does he really want to be in the league? Does he want to be somebody's backup? Does he want to go in and be a, a second or third string quarterback on somebody's roster? Is he asking for money? Is he asking for starters money I mean how does it yeah. work everybody keeps saying hey how is this guy not in the league there are we've seen the quarterbacking play there's 30 there's 32 teams and there's three quarterbacks on each team. there's 96 quarterbacks and like 45 of them suck and he's better than 45 20 of them are hurt that's right <laughs> so why isn't he on somebody's team well the other question is does he want to be that guy does he want to be number 45 or 50 does he want to be somebody's second string quarterback on a bad team I don't know I don't know either yeah only he really knows. And maybe some of the teams that have auditioned him. I got the feeling that when the Seahawks, you know, I, I, I don't know. The Seahawks took a look at him at one point and maybe weren't convinced that he was just going to be okay with just being a quiet, clipboard-holding right. backup quarterback. I don't know. 
He was pretty good when he played. I don't know. I don't know if he has anything left at 32, and I'm, I'm be surprised to see if uh, if anyone picks him up. I don't know. The circus just isn't worth it at 32, right? That comes with it. By the way, why is there still a circus around him? Haven't we moved on from Colin Kaepernick? No, we haven't moved on from Colin Kaepernick. This There's has been like four it, years of this. Three years of it. Yeah, yeah. What's, did you see the Did you see the video I posted of the 55 yard jack in the air? Nope. Hitting the guy in stride. There's no question he can throw a football well, a he far can, yeah. distance. Can, can he, he go? Read, th- yeah. Can he do everything quarterbacks have to do? Right. That he, don't get that don't get analyzed in little workouts. That's like right. This. Going through his progressions reading and defenses. reading defenses and all that stuff. I don't know. Big difference. Before we get to the four guests, we got Fred Couples on. We got Rick Neuheisel on. I think you're going to love the attorney for the people that'll give the attorney a shot on the James Wiseman thing. He just takes swings at everybody. I can't. Wait. I love guy. I love guests that'll just come on and take swings at everybody. And then Kevin Tyson, who is a who was a local guy, uh, what I say? Interlake uh, High Interlake School. Interlake High School, Washington baseball product, who fell in love with the story of the 1917 Seattle Metropolitans hockey team, first American team to ever win the Stanley Cup, and he wrote a book about it. Can't he wait for the a, movie. He, he, wrote, he wrote a book, and he's hoping <laughs> that it'll be adapted uh, to uh, a movie. But before we do all of that, real quickly, let's take a look at the, since it's an off week, let's take a look at the NFC West. Okay. And ask the question, what do the Seahawks have to do to win the division? Before I asked that, I was bummed looking at the standings after the 49ers won, and it said wild card Seahawks. I was like, it I is. don't want the wild card. It's a, it's, it's a long way to go, though. It is a long way to go. Okay, right. What do they have to right. do? Well, well, I mean, this is, a, this is a little snapshot of what you're going to hear on Thursday from Mr. Postseason. This isn't a full Mr. Postseason. This is like, uh, you know, like when you have a nice dinner planned at 730 at night <laughs> and you find yourself hungry at like 430? Yeah. And you're like, I don't want to ruin my dinner, so you have something small, something to hold you over. Gotcha, yes. That's what I'm about to do. I'm going to hold people over to Mr. Postseason because we can't do Mr. Postseason until the full week of the NFL, full weekend number 11 of the NFL is in the books. Yep. Uh, but I will ask the question because people have been asking and wondering, what do the Seahawks have to do to win the NFC West? Well, we start with what we explained on 65P. The Seahawks need to be within one game of the 49ers going into the last game of the season. If they are one game behind or better, one game behind or better going into the last game of the regular season, a win makes them the NFC West crowd. Assuming the Rams don't win out and the, the 49ers lose craziness. all these games. Yeah, yeah, craziness. Yeah. Essentially, the Seahawks have now the tiebreaker after that unbelievable win on Monday night. If they beat them the last game of the season, they can finish in a tie with them and win the NFC West. So what is it that's going to take? But both teams, here's the interesting caveat to all this. And we could talk a little bit more in the other stuff segment. You know, we have another oh, stuff yeah, segment. Oh, yeah, I got there. a lot. We love the other stuff segment. Um, what do they have to go? Well, they're 8-2, and two, and with the, the, the 49ers coming back and beating the Cardinals on Sunday, they're 9-1. and one. Both teams have just ball buster schedules. You just mentioned who the next three opponents for the for the 49ers? Packers, Ravens, Saints. Packers, Ra- Packers, Ravens, Saints, two of them on the road. Yeah. The Saints and the Ravens games are at, uh, on the road and the Packers are at home. The Seahawks got to play the Eagles at 10 a.m. this coming Sunday. They got to come back and play the Vikings in a huge game 
on Monday night, December the 2nd. We're doing another Daniels another Daniels uh, Monday night football viewing party, and I hope you'll come. Uh, I'll be there, yes. Uh, By the way, the Vikings' big comeback victory on unbelievable. Sunday. Unbelievable, yeah. Broncos had them on the ropes. Had them on the ropes. By the way, how, I said it on Twitter. How In Minnesota, by the way, at their home stadium. <laughs> how frustrating is it to have to root for shitty teams to help your team? You watch the Broncos fall, the car. It's the worst feeling in the world, Because they it? never really come through. They, exactly you never right. really get it. You get help every once in a while. <laughs> exactly right. But when you're, at, when you're asking inferior oh, teams to be God. good teams, you know, you're just not going to get that no, much help. You sure aren't. A- anyway. Daniels. Uh, uh, Daniels Broiler, Monday Night Football. Uh, anybody listening to this, I don't know if I'm going to have space. I don't know how much space I'm going to have because I'm opening up to the patrons first because I do that and the people that were at the last one. That was the best viewing party we've ever done anywhere. But anyway, Big shoes to I fill, digress. but I hope you have fun at the next one because I know you're going to be like, well, uh, we had December more December the 2nd, the- Monday Night Football, Vikings and Seahawks. going to be a huge game. Yep. Anyway, both teams have really ball buster schedules. So my question is 12 and 4. This is the number I'm thinking. And I'm only talking about NFC West division titles here. I'm not talking about buys and home field advantages all the way through. We can get to that on Thursday's 66P. I'm talking about merely winning the NFC West. If I, I, I think I have looked at this up and down, and I'm now considering where I think the Niners are right now. You understand when I say what I mean that? How I don't they're mean playing? Just, just where they yeah, are, yeah. yeah. Injured, a lot sure. of injuries, tasted their own blood on Monday. Seattle went in there and punched him in the nose. The Cardinals almost punched yes. him in the nose. Where they are, I have decided that if the Seattle Seahawks go 12-4 and four, with one of those wins being... The last game of the season against the 49ers. So 12-4 and four with a sweep of the 49ers. Will that do the trick? Now, for them to do that, they're 8-2. and two. You can do the math yourself. Yeah, you, don't need to, two. you don't need to have a University of Southern Crossroads yeah. education. Yeah, that might actually hurt you. They're 8-2. they got to go 4-2 the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. They, can, they, can, they, can, they can have two losses in their last, well, the, the next five games. Right, they could have two losses, the so Niners, they can go yeah. three and two in the next five games. That sounds doable. It's just over five hundred, okay. right? But but do you agree with me? And then and then you have to ask the question: Will that will that be enough? Will the Niners lose two games? So what we need to—that's exactly right. Yeah. What the Niners need to do is lose two games of the next five. Here are the next. Here are the next five: at Saints, at Ravens, home against Packers, uh, the Falcons. And the Rams. <laughs> they could lose all Saints, five. Ravens, Packers, Falcons, Rams. And they have to lose two, two of those out of five. Yeah, that looks Saints, doable. Ravens, Packers, Falcons, Rams. God. Those are the five opponents. If they lose two of those, then your Seahawks can lose two of the next five if they beat the Niners on December 29th, the final game of the regular season, they would be in that scenario. They'd be 12 and four. The Niners would also be 12 and four, and the Seahawks would be 12 and four. NFC West champions, probably either the two seed or the three seed, depending upon what happens with the Saints and the winner of the NFC North. Packers, either the two yeah. or three, but you might even at twelve and four, you might even slip into the two, the all important two seed, which gets you the bye in the first round, and you have a legitimate shot of hosting all the way through if the one gets knocked off somewhere along the way. So that's the number. You ask me the number that I'm I'm thinking today. I'm thinking twelve and four 
with a win on the final regular season game to get to 12-4. and four. You sweep the Niners. They lose two between now and then. You win at 12-4 and four, the NFC West. That's what I'm thinking. God, if the Niners would have lost to the Cardinals. Oh, you, forget it, forget it. Don't you'd only it. need one oh, then, my right? God. You're going to drive me crazy. Yeah. yeah. But I guess you can't do coulda, woulda, shoulda. The Seahawks could have easily lost a bunch. And Fred Couples, Rick Neuheisel on the Tua injury, uh, Rick Johnson, the attorney in Cleveland who likes to, to rag on the NCAA and anybody who takes shots at these athletes, Kevin Tyson who wrote the book about the 1917 Seattle Metropolitans. Then you and I do the other stuff segment. Are you ready? How, how many do you have? You have a lot, don't oh, you? Oh, I got a ton, yeah. We'll big, go back and forth. A little tennis weekend. match? Let's do it. Big tennis weekend. match. You know, hot shot. I don't think I had been at Daniels on Monday for the Niners-Seahawks game two minutes when a patron approached to tell me how excited he was for the refinance of his home through Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. I think he said he pulled out something like sixty grand, and the monthly payment hardly increased. So stop procrastinating and continuing to pay more each month. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are now within your mortgage. No starting the 30-year period over. A refinance gets you out of that mortgage insurance, which is costly, and also could pull some money out to do those home improvements or remodels that you've been looking at. There's only one thing that you shouldn't do, and that's just sit there, unwilling to, at the very least, make a 10-minute investment, a phone call, to find out all your options. There are three nation's top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. Their phone number, 425-250-3150. 425-250-3150. The worst thing that can happen is after 10 minutes, you find out that you can't do better than you're doing now. The flip side, which is for the majority of you guys, you can pay less each month with a refinance of your home that doesn't start you all over. Again, 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. Round of 70. Uh, there's Deborah. Uh, that's it. Very fine victory indeed. Fred Couples, the favourite. Everyone in the world of golf will be delighted. Well, it took a year. This week marks the year anniversary of Mitch Unfiltered. And I guess maybe our next guest just decided, you know, this thing's a fledgling podcast. I'm not going on it until he's uh, he's celebrating a year. Ladies and gentlemen joining us, you know him as the 1992 Masters champion. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's a Northwest icon. But did you know that our next guest is one of the most popular podcast hosts in America, ladies and gentlemen, here he is. <laughs> oh, my God. Fred. Mitch, you're oh. too much. I would come on any time, <laughs> but I'm glad to be on. This podcast, I, I got to find out about this. You get pretty good guests, so why do you get such good guests? Why do I have a one-time major champion and you get, you know, 15-time major champions on your podcast? That was the most fun ever. That was not even planned. But I do, I do, I do two shows a month. I was almost going to say one, but we, we're doing two shows a month. So if you give me 14 days to get a hold of somebody, 
which, as you know, with a phone, it's very difficult. No, it's, it's not that difficult. And then when you sit and think about it, when you do this, and I enjoy it. I really do enjoy it. But I'm always amazed, like, when you guys do this and how you get guests all the time. And, yeah. you know, sometimes we'll be on and we'll think, well, she, you know, if we bash Phil Mickelson a little bit here, he'll never call in, so we can't do that. And then my partner will say, "Oh, yes, we can." So it it, it it's very it, it's intriguing and it's very fun. And uh, so how the Tiger thing came is, you know, his 82nd win, and we were we rarely do a whole show on golf, and we were going to do pretty much a whole show on golf because he won. 82 wins and probably put him on the president's cup team as a playing captain, blah, 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 blah. And I was trying to get Joe on the phone and they were flying back on air tiger from Japan. Uh And so I'm texting tiger about president's cup stuff. And I said, you know, is Joe with you? If you're calling me from the air and he goes, yeah, he's right here. And I said, you tell him we need him on the show tomorrow. And he said, you got it. And I would never, and he's never said to me anything. So anyway, Joe texts Tuesday morning after they land from from, uh, Japan. And he says, look, I got a flight home. Don't be surprised if Tiger calls in. And I went, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And sure enough, you already know, he's in line picking his kids up and he calls in. And I got to be honest, Mitch, I, you know, I get flustered a little bit. I was more nervous talking with him than I was with Jerry West or, anyone else it was like oh my god but it was really fun you know and then i read where someone said oh you threw him softballs well I, i'm 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 I, you know i'm not i'm not going to get him on to talk about the three iron that he missed hit or the missed putt right 82 wins and i love talking about his kids he's there at school picking his kids up my school by the way He's at my school, my elementary school, the school that I grew oh, up going to. Excuse me. That's right. Oh, my God. You're kidding That's me. That's right. Go ahead. Continue the story. I just no, wanted no, you to no, make sure you no, understood no, that. No, no. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> rambling on, but that's really how it worked, and we had a great 15 minutes, and, uh, you know, we all know how much he means to golf, but to me, he's just a, you know, he's just a great guy. Do, and you, I, and do, you, do you remember meeting him for the first time? How old was he when you met him for the first time? I think I was near him at the L.A. Open, but I don't believe I I said hi or shook his hand or saw him. Yeah. And I played a practice round with him in the Philippines at the Johnny Walker. I think it was Johnny Walker, but I know it was in the Philippines, and um, we had a really nice time. He was probably... 18 years old, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hit it so far and, and so pure. And, you know, he was he was talking about how he was going to play the course. And, you know, and it was just a nice practice round. And, and the reason I say how he's going to play the course, because he hit driver everywhere. And he hit it. I mean, he had wedges to half the holes. And, you know, I just was amazed. And in the tournament, I don't know how he played. I really don't. Um, and then one of the biggest times we played was a practice round at Augusta with uh, Ray Floyd and uh, Greg Norman. And that's really when I, I got to be friends with him and we had a nice time. And, uh, you know, I, I just got to know him a little more and a little more every year. And, and now we're, we're very good friends and we enjoy, 
I don't see him much. I don't want to miss. You know, I, I I rarely see him, but I text him a lot, tease yeah. him. Yeah. Obviously, he he teases me more than I tease him, but. Uh, you know, it was a long time ago. And you're going to be his assistant for the President's Cup team. I am. It'll be month. Steve Stricker. Yep. Steve Stricker, myself, and Zach Johnson. And we'll have a few more duties. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure he'll play ample enough rounds. As you know, Mitch, it starts Thursday, unlike the Ryder Cup, which is Friday. So it's it's kind of an easier week for everybody. It's still you know, jam-packed in there. But uh, we haven't really discussed how many times he's going to play or when he's going to play, but he he really wants to be the captain. I mean, it's a big deal to him, and, and, I, and I can see why. And uh, uh, But he's still – now he's going to play. He's, he, he needs to play. He's got he's got to win it three times as the captain to match another guy who was a captain. It was 3-0, and <laughs> but somehow – and I don't get this. Maybe I need to make a few calls. Or you can explain it to me. H- how has Fred Couples never been the Ryder Cup captain? All you've done is win in team, in team play. Is there some sort of politics that I don't understand? Did you need to win a PGA championship to be a Ryder Cup captain? How does that work? Well, you know, that a, a lot of people have been captain lately that haven't won a, a PGA. Um. You know, it's just one of those things where uh, I probably had an opportunity to push my way in there, and I didn't email them and text them and call them. Because you were too busy texting Tiger. That's your problem. Well, no, I was just too busy thinking, you know, that if if, if I'm the right fit, you know, I'm the right guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to write them letters and tell them how great a job I'll do. And, yeah, and, and I don't know if other people do, but I, I – I know that, you know, some people have really pushed hard to get it. But I said a couple things, you know, to the PGA that maybe they just didn't want to hear. And a lot of it was, you know, we need to take care of the players more. And it had nothing to do with why we won or didn't win. It, it, because Europe does the same thing we do. And, and you know, if they're tired, we're tired. And if we're getting up at 5 in the morning, they're getting up at 5 in the morning. And I, I don't really know, you know, if the task force, if they still have it or whatever, but uh, they got a good guy in Stricker, um, and I'm sure Mickelson and Tiger will be, yep. Yep. you know, the Ryder Cup captain someday soon here in the near future. But I missed out. I, am I disappointed? Yeah, I, I, I'm very disappointed. Um, you know, I, I think part of the, the, the President's Cup is Tim Fincham did a phenomenal, phenomenal job making it, a relaxed event, um, you know, all about the players. Uh, and I think, I think that's a huge deal. And I think the Ryder cup is certainly will never be like that because it's the Ryder cup. Mm-hmm. But for me, I tried to, you know, when I talk about it, make it relaxed and I don't, I don't see a difference. You know, I don't, I don't know if, if I said, Oh yeah, it's the most stressful thing to be a captain and you've got to do all these things. Or if you just went and said, yeah, I'd love to be a captain, and I'll, you know, when I get there, I'll take care of the players, and we'll have a good time. I don't know the difference. I mean, I don't know what you can possibly do if you're a President's Cup captain or a Ryder Cup captain differently or better or worse. Yeah. The voice of Fred Couples, it's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Fireside Home Solutions reminds you that football season is fireplace season. You should start your search at firesidehomesolutions.com. The voice of Freddie Couples, he's finally on Mitch Unfiltered. 
I know you celebrated a big birthday this year. My our mutual friend also celebrated his 60th birthday. How you feeling? Huh? How 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 much do you still burn to play competitively, or do you not burn to play competitively competitively so much anymore? Well, this is a perfect call, Mitch, and I'll tell you why. I just turned 60 in October, October 3rd, and for the people who know the name Paul Marchand, that's been my teacher forever and my college teammate. He's now the head pro at Madison Club in Palm Springs, where I live part of the time. So I just was down there for four days, actually five days, but... One day, you know, we drove down, and I only hit balls, and I played four of the days, and uh, he watched me hit a few. He obviously worked. The season just opened on Wednesday, and that's when, you know, we all started getting to play the club and the course, and Paul's enjoying it. So I I honestly think this will be a really nice little boost for me to have Paul right there when I, you know, when when I go down there to see him instead of having to go to Houston or he, you know, he was in Vegas for the last couple of years at a discovery project, but now he's really at, you know, my home course. So the age thing is still a little, you know, a little hindrance and you, and you saw it up in Seattle, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to win. And I really, I've thought about that last round so many fricking times and it, I just can't get it out of my brain that, you know, I, I've lost tournaments before. I have hit good shots before. I've pulled hook balls in the water before. But I, for the life of me, it, it had nothing to do with, with playing in Seattle. It, it had a lot to do with trying to win again, you know, at yeah. that ripe age, almost 60. And I just didn't, I just didn't perform very well. And my last three rounds were, what, 63 in the BC Open? Or, excuse me, it'll kill me, the Dicks (laughs) Dicks, Dicks tournament. And then I come to Seattle and I shoot 65, 63, and then I shoot 76. And that that was a big crusher. So, you know, it's just one of those things. And as you know, you play and everyone who plays, it it was a shock. Uh, I don't really care what... um, Brant Job shot. You know, I felt like if I went out there and just played pretty good golf and, you yeah. know, shot somewhere in the high 60s, which which is very capable, it was was a nice day. But, you know, those are the things we all remember. And, and it's been an okay year. I, I can't say it was perfect, but I felt really, really good the whole year. My back was never a huge problem. And I'm hoping next year that's the same thing where I can go have a couple more good years. You know, you just brought up the Seattle thing, and I decided before we started chatting that I was not going to bring it up. But since you have brought it up, I'm going to say something to you that I've wanted to say to you since that final round. And I don't know whether this is going to mean anything to you, but if it does, it does. And if it doesn't, you just throw it out the window. I think I can speak on behalf of every golf fan and every sports fan in this region. I know how much pressure you put on yourself and how much you desire to win here and you have for years and years and years, even going back to your own your own small tournament. And I just want you to know something, that your legacy in the Northwest is and has been secure for a very, very long time. You need to do, Fred, nothing. 
You did not need to win that Boeing Classic. I'm not going to say I, I, I'm not going to say no one cares because that might sound bad, <laughs> but you know right. what I you know what I mean. There's nobody in this town. There's nobody in the Northwest that thinks Fred Couples needs to win here. If you win here, great. If you win at 61 or 65, or you never win here, great. You are you are a legendary fixture for all you've done. You've always represented Seattle. On the on the on the world stages, you've always given back with your golf tournament and other charities that you've done. I just want you to hear that. You probably know that in the back of your mind, but I see you. I, I you know I looked at the TV when you were trying to win in that third round, and I said he's putting way too much pressure on himself to win here when none of us none of us really care whether he wins here ever or doesn't. Well, I, I appreciate that. I. I... You know, everyone knows I love Seattle. I'm 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 rarely up there. I understand all that, um, but everything was falling into place. I mean, I went all the way to New York to get the kinks out, get some rounds under my belt, and I had a great last round. Because normally, yeah, for some reason we get a few weeks off, and I go to Seattle and I'm rusty, and I went in there firing and spent time with Bracken, and he was cooking up. <laughs> you know, the, the the crab and, and the steaks and everything. And I got to the course and I felt great and had a couple great rounds. But, no, I, I, I mean, I get all that. But it's just one of those things where, you know, someone said, well, were you – yeah, of course I'm – I could be in in Timbuktu and I'm going to be trying, you know, and yeah. feeling a little edgy on the last round. Right. But, but you know, some people thought, well, you want to win and see how – no, I want to win. You know, the the goal is to win – whether it's in Phoenix or Chicago or okay. Seattle, okay. but it was just a, it was just an ugly day, but I did have a good time. I, I, you know, I struggled showing it, but, um, you know, then when you finish, you got your family there and everyone's, you know, they're all in shock too. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, okay, we got to get over this. Someone help me get over this. Uh, I mean, I'm, I started to laugh a little bit, but, um, I love the tournament. I love the course and, uh, it's, you know, great crowds this year and, perfect weather so i still got a few cracks at it where were you on monday night watching your beloved seahawks beat the uh the 49ers on monday night football right in my house sitting on the couch with suzanne yeah and and a good friend who had bet quite a bit of money on the seahawks (laughs) oh and uh it got just the three of us it got a little rowdy there and i mean (laughs) what a ball game and uh you know i I, I just thought, you know, is this kid going to make the field goal? If he does, I'm happy for him. And if he doesn't, you know, and we do whatever and, and win this game. And when he missed the field goal, you know, and we won. Obviously, I'm 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 way happier. But uh, it was a it was a fun, you know, I don't know, three hour game. But uh, I was right at home watching that baby. Do you think you think that they're ready to make a run now? You think that the MVP quarterback is going to put them on their shoulders, or do you think that there are some uh, defensive issues that'll get in the way of the of the Seahawks getting back to the to the Super Bowl? What do you think? You know, I, I'm I'm I guess when I was going to a lot of games, I was more in tune to that, or maybe we we had an unbelievable defense five years ago. But yeah. I mean, we seem to be in all these games. I know Tampa scored I don't know high thirties or forty points, but. You know that happens. I mean, some of these teams are so darn good, and and the offense can just go up and down the field. And then you watch another game, and you know you watch the Patriots. I didn't see it because I was flying here to Atlanta, but the Patriots, you know, 
17-10 win. And, you know, if, if they get going and Philadelphia gets going, that could be a 40-34 game or something. But I think Seattle's primed. I, I, I look, I know by listening they have a pretty good schedule left. So, yeah. you know, I don't think it matters wholly if they don't uh, – you know, get a home game real quick, and I, I, I think they can win on the road. And, you know, they're very good. They're fun to watch. They're really fun to watch. And this big Metcalf kid, Yeah. I, I mean, I know nothing about him except he's he's looks like he's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Big boy. Huge guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Huge. Yeah, huge. Huge. Yeah. Fred, it's great to hear your voice. Safe travels to Atlanta and back, and then to Australia for the uh, the President's Cup team. Bring home another American. If you're involved, we know that the American. We don't even have to watch. We know the American <laughs> oh team, God. the United States team, will win. It's great to hear you, and uh, I look forward to your next visit. Maybe we can get together the next time you're in the uh, in the Seattle area. It's great to hear you for sure. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Well, there he is, 1992, Masters champion, Hall of Famer, Tiger Woods, assistant captain for the President's Cup team next month. And most of all, Pacific Northwest icon Freddie Couples making his Mitch Unfiltered debut. Are you tired of hearing me talk about Tyler Hay and Evergreen Golf Call yet? You better not be because where would Mitch Unfiltered be without that premier wealth manager in the Northwest? Title sponsor of both the March Madness Pool and the Major Championship Challenge. Just an awesome partner. Headquartered in Bellevue with offices along the West Coast. Portland, San Francisco, Napa Valley. Been growing people's money in a thorough and fiscally responsible way for decades. Omnipresent in our community with charity involvement like the Boys and Girls Club and now the developer of a new online program to help those of us with limited savings get that same level of expertise as their high wealth clients have been enjoying for all these years. It's called Evervestment, powered by Evergreen Golf Call. You certainly don't have to be a millionaire to invest like one. The same investment advice as Evergreen's high net worth clients get at a lower fee. Evervestment also provides you access to an actual human advisor should you need it and not some pop-up chat box on their website. Try it. Evervestment.com, whether you're saving for your first vacation home or your first day of retirement, Evervestment can get you there. Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I'm going to go Notre Dame. I love Notre Dame's defense. Wake Forest, uh, but for their loss, would have had a chance to play for the Atlantic this weekend, but they gave that up. Confidence a little shaken, and Clemson is motivated to stay perfect. Talent. Lawrence with a pump fake. Looking for the back left corner in the end zone for T. Higgins. He's got another. The second first half touchdown catch for Higgins. I am going with Minnesota. Iowa is going to play well. The Iowa City fans will be outstanding, but uh, we're still looking for some measure of Iowa offense, and it hasn't surfaced. Play action, deep drop, end zone, Smith Marset, touchdown Iowa. The Hawkeyes exploding out of the gates. 
I think Auburn's defense is maybe the best in the country. One more time in front of the home crowd, I think they give Georgia a little bit of a taste of their own medicine. I think they find a way to beat Georgia. Play action. Jake lofts it to the corner. Touchdown, Eli Wolf. This is an interesting game, but I think Oklahoma beats them by two touchdowns. First roll, looks for the end zone, touchdown, wide open is Braden Willis. Settles back in coverage. Brewer almost bobbled the snap, now fires, and this one is intercepted, given a second chance, Benito makes the pick, and a takeaway of all things is going to seal a massive comeback victory for Oklahoma. Solutions. It's football season. It's fireplace season, and they are thrilled to bring you our weekly chat. It's episode 66 with our buddy Rick Neuheisel. It was a very, very difficult weekend in the world of college football. A lot of people root against Nick Saban like I do. A lot of people root against Alabama like I do. But none of us root for a young man to get hurt in a serious injury to change the landscape, Rick of the college football world. Uh, what did you think when you saw Tua go down? Let's start with the injured hip. I start hearing Bo Jackson's name uttered, and it really scares me for the future of, of Tua. I know he's going to have surgery uh, on Monday. What, what did you think over the injury? Well, obviously, I think all of us as college football fans are disappointed that one of the marquee players and one of the maybe most enjoyable players we've seen in, in some time uh, you know, flashing back to that scene in the second half of the of the Mercedes-Benz Stadium when he came off the bench for Alabama and just basically uh, took Georgia by storm and maybe the country by storm with an unbelievable second half that uh, propelled Alabama to another national championship. But uh, a star was born. So you hate to see this. Um, I know that Bo Jackson's injury has been likened to this one, and I obviously not a doctor. I'm not looking at x-rays, but remember he's a quarterback and Bo is a running back. So I, I don't know that uh, we have to be as grim in terms of the, what the future holds for, for uh, Tua Tunga by I know he's being flown to Houston for surgery uh, on Monday. And uh, I, you know, we'll just all keep our fingers crossed and say a little prayer that he's back and, I, for one, hope that uh, he and his family will make the decision to come back to college football for another year. I know there are those that say, hey, if you're going to recuperate, you might as well get paid for it. But uh, I think there are a number of things in his game that still need work. And I would also say 
that uh, you you know the collegiate experience uh, would offer him a chance to show to the NFL yeah. scouts that he can be durable, that he can uh, withstand a whole season. And I know Alabama fans would be tickled pink to have him back. Doesn't an injury like this, though, scare you right out of college, right into the NFL in your first pro contract? Potentially. Potentially. You know, you're sitting there. How many more of these can you take on? And, uh, you know, it may be that uh, he is a little bit uh, fragile. I mean, this is now three injuries in, in uh, you know, probably less than a season's time, given the uh, two high ankles that required surgery and now this uh, hip surgery. Uh, so, but, uh, I, you know, I, I think it's obviously premature to make any determinations as to what the future holds. I know this. He's a fantastic player, and uh, we all keep our fingers crossed that we get to watch him play whatever arena yeah. uh, in the near future. Yeah. The voice of Rick Neuheisel, Fireside Home Solutions at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. It's time for a, a brand-new fireplace, and Fireside Home Solutions is where you should start your search. Before I ask you what this means – um, to Alabama and its candidacy for the Final Four and how the people in that committee should view them, even if they do win the next two and win at Auburn. Let's, let us let me take you down the coaching path. Everybody is getting in line to take a schwack at Nick Saban for having him in the game in such a lopsided game, but it still was the first half. Now, you know me. I take any chance I can to take a swing at Nick Saban, and yet I even find, <laughs> I even find myself – uh, with some level of compassion saying it's still the first half of a college football game. There's there's no th- there's no breaking of any rule that he would have a starting quarterback in there until halftime. I, I don't see where all the criticism comes from. I, I'm totally with you there. Uh, this is a hindsight's 2020 type of uh, thing. Uh, it, it was not the high ankle that caused this injury. It was a, uh, a separate issue. Uh, Alabama was confronted with the loss after uh, loss to LSU to to put on a fashion show, and I know they were ahead 35-7, but you can see Tua Tungavailoa going to his head coach there, asking for the two-minute drive, wanting to have it uh, well oiled uh, in in advance of the Iron Bowl just a couple of weeks away, knowing that he wasn't going to play a lot next week against Western Carolina. So this was an opportunity to kind of go out there and and, uh, and have a chance with his guys to do a two-minute drill. He hadn't done it. Remember, he didn't uh, uh, get to play against Arkansas previous to the uh, uh, LSU game either. So I, I, I understand what Nick Saban was doing. And to, to look at this and say he made a terrible decision is just uh, absolutely looking in the rearview mirror. And I, I think it's pointless. All right. So based on what you saw from Alabama in their weeks without him after the last injury, Will they beat? I won't ask about the catamounts. Your your your, your famous catamounts. I think they can take Do care not of the catamounts. Check on the catamounts. <laughs> and by the way, you don't want to get the catamounts at home. No. <laughs> will 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 they win? I believe on the road that uh, Iron Bowl is on the road at Auburn this year. Will they win in two weeks at Auburn with a backup quarterback? I believe they will. And and uh, I have been so impressed with Auburn's defense over the course of the season. Uh, but once again, the uh, inconsistency, we'll leave it at that, for Bo Nix uh, burned him. I mean, Bo Nix had a chance to hit a guy wide open in the flat. There was He was uh, uh, in no trouble. It was an easy throw, and yet he threw it behind the guy. He's got a little bit of a, a panic reflex, 
when he sees something open, he wants to pull the trigger, and it's a little premature, and and that's cost uh, uh, Auburn all season long. I looked at Jalen Hurts' performance last night against Baylor, and I said, had Jalen Hurts transferred to Alabama, or had, or excuse me, had transferred to Auburn, or had Justin Fields transferred to Auburn, Auburn would have won the national championship this year. I truly believe that, given what they have defensively. Now, Justin Fields is doing just fine with his teammates there at Ohio State. And Jalen Hurts was sensational last night leading the comeback for Oklahoma. Yeah. But both of them were arch rivals. Georgia and Alabama came from arch rivals of Auburn, so it's easy to understand why they didn't go. But it would have been a nice match to have that kind of uh, a quarterback to go along with Gus Malzahn's defense. If you're right and Alabama still beats Auburn, then what is there for the committee to consider? The, the portfolio is closed. They don't go, let's say, they don't go to the SEC championship game. I would think that if there's a beneficiary to all of this, it would be the Utah-Oregon winner out here in the Pac-12 that would be uh, that their candidacy for the Final Four now takes a step up if those within the committee say, yeah, on Alabama, but the Tua injury. You have once again, in my estimation, hit the nail on the head. This was great news for the Pac-12, in particular Utah, because Auburn's loss doesn't do Oregon's any favor, doesn't do Oregon any favors, but Utah with a one-sided, and the statistics are off the charts in terms of how many yards they're out gaining their opponents. They they have the one blemish, but fortunately SC looked good against Cal last night. Uh, The bottom line here is the Pac-12 champion, I think, is getting in, because you can't have... uh, an eye test, which was going to help Alabama get to that four spot because the eye test now is noticing that there's no Tua Tunga by Loa. And if, if you were hoping for the eye test for the good, then you have to accept that the eye test is also going to acknowledge that which is not there, which is your great quarterback. So I think Alabama is effectively eliminated. Hmm. You think the Utah-Oregon winner, should both of them go undefeated into that game, is into the final four. Now, hold on. Let me, let me push you to the wall on this. Let me, give, sure. let me give you a scenario. You've got, let's say, Georgia and LSU in the SEC championship game, right? George, right. Georgia beats LSU close. Georgia beats LSU close. Ohio State wins through. Clemson wins through. LSU finishes with one loss in the SEC championship game real close to Georgia. Georgia has the one uh, loss. I think it was South Carolina that was a a little bit embarrassing. And now you've got the Utah-Oregon winner, whomever that might be. How do you pick the four? How do you – are you excluding LSU in that scenario? That is a scenario where I would – my – statement would probably be at most risk because LSU LSU having had the wonderful season that they've had would certainly merit consideration but a a scenario where a team loses on the final Saturday in what kind of feels like quarterfinals and still gets the nod to the final four would be a first for the committee I don't see it happening I, I think they'd rather go with somebody who performed great on that day. And uh, certainly that would be the case of the winner of the Utah-Oregon uh, game, assuming that both get there unscathed. Does that mean 
you think LSU would be in there in that scenario, or you don't think LSU I'd, would be? I, I would say LSU would be outside looking wow, in, wow. and everybody would sit there and say they had their chance. Uh, let me throw another one at you. Ohio State. Let's take a look at Ohio State, Rick Neuheisel, brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Yep. Let's take a look at Ohio State. Ohio State seems to be cruising towards its division title and towards a Big Ten uh, championship. Let's just say for the sake of uh, you-know-what and giggles, Ohio State loses to Penn State. Yeah, Does, I, I'm following you. Yeah. And doesn't get to the championship, right. but finishes at 11-1, beats right. Michigan soundly. Right. And now you have a Penn State or Wisconsin Big Ten champ. Right. This th- They would get there as the only Big Ten team. They would not get there as the second Big Ten team. Say that again. They would get there if they were the only Big Ten team to be in the Final Four. They would not get there as a second Big Ten team but in my, my estimation. Okay, but my question really is, how do you view Ohio State in that scenario with one loss – a one loss to a really good Penn State team, not getting to the Big Ten title game. How would you view them against Alabama, against the Oklahoma, against the Oregon, Utah winner? Uh, how do you? How would you? Because, view, yeah, uh, because of the uh, the timing of the loss, because of the timing of the loss, and and the fact that they would have lost at home, I would say that they would be behind the Pac-12 champ. Uh, I think they would still stay ahead of Alabama because there's no tongue of Iloa, so the eye test doesn't uh, do uh, Alabama any favors. Okay. Uh, and I would say that uh, they would have a pot- pot- potential to still get in, uh, assuming that Penn State went to the championship and lost, and then get in over a Wisconsin or a Minnesota. Very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I do not think two Big Ten teams make it. I do not see that scenario anymore now that Minnesota has taken one on the chin. Okay, and then going back to Tua, I didn't ask this question. You were in the NFL for a while. You were a quarterback's coach, an offensive quarter, uh, offensive coordinator in the NFL. Let's assume your your wish and desire for him to go back to college doesn't happen, and he just says, okay, right. I can't. Uh, he and his advisors say, I've just suffered a big – Hip injury. I've had hip surgery. There's just no way I'm I'm going right. back and risking my professional career any further on the college level. What will what will NFL general managers do with him and that injury, and how will that impact the drafting process, the workout process, and all that goes along with the uh, the system where these these highly thought of college football players end up NFL stars? I would say that this would be the most scrutinized uh, set of x-rays and medical uh, determinations. There will be more experts poking and prodding at Tua, whether it be in Indianapolis or private uh, you know, meetings where he gets on the table and they look and see exactly what they're doing. But I still see uh, Tunga Bailoa as a first-round pick. I think he'd get drafted somewhere in 28, 29, 30, 31, or 32 because people would want to have him for five years. They would say, we'll let one year go. Those positions are usually uh, positions where a quarterback's already sitting there. I could see a New Orleans Saints uh, team, you know, that's having a pretty banner year. 
you know, Drew Brees has probably got another couple years, given the way he's taking care of himself. Mm-hmm. I would see that they would say, you know what, let's get this Tonga Vailoa kid in here and have him ready to go. Rick Neuheisel is the voice that you hear. Before I get your picks, I want to ask you a question because it seems to become imperative that on a week-to-week basis we at least mention P.J. Fleck's name on this podcast. <laughs> And, Row the boat, Kayuma, right. Elite. And yeah. typically I get yeah. the initials wrong. You always remind me it's like PJ Carlisma. PJ Fleck yeah. is now in the yeah, news. Exactly. Not only is he in the news because his Minnesota Golden Gophers were not able to follow up the one of the greatest wins in school history with a win against Iowa, but he was penalized. Now I didn't see this, so I I, I plead ignorance and I'll fall backwards and you you catch me. He was penalized fifteen yards for running onto the field, I believe when one of his players went down with injury and he was uh, he yeah. was forced to defend his actions as a former coach a former player a father of a player what did you think of all of this well i didn't see the play either i'm like you i read it uh i understand having gone through that horrific situation myself as you recall with curtis williams mm-hmm. um that you definitely want to get onto the field to make sure that your player's being well attended to, that he knows your thoughts and prayers are with him. Uh, I think PJ had a really knee-jerk reaction. You know, he'd been through that uh, with the young man at Rutgers uh, when he was an assistant. So I think, you know, but PJ's always going to be um, a flamboyant type in that situation. And he was explaining why he was going to be in that situation. So I, I, I take him at his word. I don't think he was trying to show anybody up. I think he was just out there making sure that his, uh, his receiver uh, was okay. And, and so uh, I think the officials, uh, I don't think they were in error, but uh, I think really it's much ado about nothing. And I think uh, maybe a, a little bit of a counsel to coaches as to what's, what's, uh, the correct course of action in that case uh, is something that uh, officials can do in pregame meetings uh, when they talk to the coaches. Rick's picks. Before we get to the biggie, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, I would imagine that there will be a lot of fan bases around the country rooting for Texas A&M this weekend uh, with Texas yeah, and Georgia. Yeah, there will be. Can they, give although, a, can they give them a run? Oh, go ahead. Can they give yeah, them a run? Yeah, although I'm not sure that it will make a – big enough deal i still think georgia would get in with two losses with a win over lsu really i think the victory wow. I, I do i think just an sec champions getting in and uh i know that sounds crazy but i i believe it uh you know what i i like uh jimbo fisher's team i think he's done a nice job uh his quarterback's getting better uh, but i don't think they're good enough running the football uh with a freshman running back to handle what is a very formidable defense in Georgia. Georgia, I do not believe, has national championship uh, pedigree offensively, but uh, I think their defense is uh, yeoman, and I think at home they'll they'll win the day. I'm, I'm on Georgia there. I don't know the spread, but does Ohio State win big in Columbus over Penn State? You know, uh, Indiana threw for 370-plus yards. Peyton Ramsey had a day against them with only 91 yards of rushing, meaning that it was kind of a one-trick pony. They were one-dimensional and yet still very effective, Uh, nearly 75% passing that day. So 
I, I think given what I know about Justin Fields and that uh, Ohio State offense and the completeness of it, I would have a hard time picking anybody other than the Buckeyes in this game. All right. And you think Utah's going to beat Oregon. I know this is way in advance. You think Utah's going to beat Oregon like I do in the Pac-12 final or I, not? I do. I think one of the most unsung heroes uh, out there right now is Tyler Huntley. I think he is playing remarkable football. He's playing within himself. He doesn't turn the ball over. And when called upon, he has great ability to make plays with his legs. Herbert's fantastic. I don't think Herbert's being maximized because I don't believe they have receivers to maximize his talent. But uh, I, I love both defenses. I think the pressure that uh, Utah can bring on a pocket is uh, superior to that of Oregon. So I'm going to lean Utah over the Ducks in that neutral site. And I love our time together each and every week. This is episode 66. He's been with us right there through thick and thin through the college football season. We're all we're all we're all a little queasy about the the Tua injury. It's a it's a shame. It really it really sends a dark cloud. Uh, above college football, and I'm sorry to see that it happened. Rick Neuheisel is brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. We'll watch Penn State and Ohio State. We'll see if Georgia continues its winning ways, and we'll talk to Rick Neuheisel of CBS next week at this time on Episode 67. Thank you, sir. Thank you, and don't don't uh, don't mind just taking a peek in on my catamounts, okay, in Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Will do. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> see you now. There he is, Rick Neuheisel of CBS, and the entire landscape of college football may have just changed over the weekend when Tua was lost for the season for Alabama. The Crimson Tide's playoff hopes out the window as well. We'll have to kind of wait and see. Who could go for a piping hot slice of the Pacific Northwest best pizza today? I'm eyeing the Buffalo Soldier Ranch Base, Buffalo Chicken, Mama Lil's Peppers, Fresh Jalapeno, Gorgonzola, Fresh Cilantro, and while you'll be supporting the Northwest Homegrown Pizza Company, founded in Queen Anne in 1993, Zeke's Pizza, you'll also be supporting one of the biggest reasons why Mitch Unfiltered is possible. Zeke's Pizza celebrating the adventurous spirit and natural affinity for craftsmanship that makes this Northwest great. Zeke's dough is made every morning in its kitchen on Finney Ridge, delivered fresh daily to each of its 17 Puget Sound locations. Every pizza is hand-tossed when you order it. If you wanted to watch a Huskies or Seahawks game with fabulous pizza and a craft beer or two, it's an easy call. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Breaking news as we go on the air. Memphis freshman James Wiseman, the projected number one pick in the 2020 NBA draft, has been declared ineligible, will not suit up in the immediate future for the Tigers. The announcement just coming out from the school. The NCAA had said that Wiseman was ineligible after receiving improper benefits. Penny Hardaway decided to play him while Memphis and the NCAA battled over his eligibility. The school is applying to have Wiseman reinstated. So let's uh, continue with episode 66. It's the off-court saga of freshman phenom James Wiseman capturing the attention of sports fans around the country, not to mention those of us whose skin breaks out at the mere mention of the NCAA. Rick Johnson, Cleveland-based attorney who has battled and beaten the NCAA over the past decade, acutely aware of the NCAA bylaws, regulations, and the Wiseman story. 
Rick, thanks for uh, joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. I think it would be easiest for our listeners to start at the end and kind of work backwards. James and the school has dropped all legal challenges against the NCAA, agreed to sit out for the time being. The NCAA says it would not even consider a resolution while there was a lawsuit on the table, which makes all of us presume that a deal was struck between the two sides to get James reinstated at some point. You you take it the same way? Not at all. Okay. Uh, the school suspended James's eligibility. Um, uh, James dropped the lawsuit. The school was not involved in the lawsuit. Well, they were involved as a defendant because right. James was suing the university and the NCA. But uh, what... And, as far as the news reports go, uh, the school, the president, and the, and the athletic director were standing behind James and the coach, um, so it was it was a very unusual situation. But uh, and, and as far as I know, other than Texas A&M refusing to suspend Johnny Manziel, I've never seen or heard of a university president refusing to suspend a, a kid when the NCAA says we think he's quote likely ineligible end quote um, which is not anywhere in the NCAA rule book by the way um, and uh, the the NCAA said uh, as far as I understand from published reports that they would not negotiate unless James dropped his lawsuit right um, that there wouldn't have been a lawsuit if they would have negotiated it is per se bad faith negotiation to say we won't talk to you unless you drop your lawsuit which is the only reason why we're talking to you right now and and this is a a, a standard kind of what i would call a bully trick uh where where the person who's perceived as a bully says ah you know you've done something i'm not going to talk to you until you stop doing whatever you're doing you're you're, you're a nuisance so not only is there not an agreed in in my opinion uh, you know obviously i'm not an insider to Memphis, but you from what I've observed, there is no agreement, and uh, the university and the coach and James have lost all the leverage they had because they had a hearing uh, coming up on you know yeah. this coming Monday yeah. on a preliminary injunction, and they'd already won on the temporary restraining order. So they had a ton of leverage with a lawsuit. They got none without it. Why do they back down, in your estimation, if there's no deal, Rick? Well, remember, you know, James is suing the university and, and the NSA. Um, uh, the NSA didn't back down. Uh, the university is a defendant. They can't control whether the lawsuit is is uh, in play or not, except to the degree that they can pressure James. And from my reading of the press releases, the university brought a lot of pressure to bear on James and the coach, and uh, the coach was not a party to this. But, you know, James is an 18-year-old young man. Uh, you know, if the people that he trusts tells him to do this, he's likely to follow their advice because he has no way independently to make such a decision one way or the other. Um, so he, he's left relying on, you know, I assume his mother and his attorneys and whoever else, he, you know, the coach and whoever else he trusts in his life. Mm-hmm. But he would have no ability to know one way or the other what he should do. All right. Rick, at the core of the issue seems to be the definition of the word booster. Uh, the facts are that Penny Hardaway gave the, uh, gave the school a million dollars back in 2008 to help finance a Hall of Fame, not necessarily to the athletic department or booster club. To many, that makes the greatest player in that school's history a booster. You say no on that. Explain why. Because the school itself is not a prohibited 
uh, entity to which you can give money. It's only to the athletic department itself or to a booster club sponsored by the athletic department. And uh, and in the same sentence of this of this regulation. Uh, is, is used when, when they describe the booster organization, they refer to it as being of that institution. They use the word institution. They wrote the rule. Uh, rule rules are, are construed by a court against the person who drafted them. So if they're vague or ambiguous, they're, they're construed against the person who, who was vague and ambiguous. Uh, they did not use, they, they could have equally have said, you give money to the university, the athletic department, yeah. or a booster club. But they didn't. They didn't say that. Right. Basic rule and statutory construction uh, that, that courts would use would, would say, if you didn't prohibit it and you could have prohibited it, it ain't prohibited. Yeah. It's, it's kind of that yeah. simple. But certainly, if you take a step back, and I know that y- you have fervor when it comes to representing student-athletes against the, against the NCAA, and I love that. I admire that about you. But if you take a step back, uh, even you can understand why the view from 20,000 feet to many is greatest player gives parents of transcended All-American more than 11 grand a move. Greatest player becomes coach of his alma mater. Transcended All-America follows him to the school. Just that picture uh, is damaging to, to many college basketball fans. You would agree with that, right? I, I would agree that you can manipulate the narrative to either sound good or bad. You have collapsed 11 years into one sentence. Mm-hmm. The gift was in 2008. He's a famous alumni, a wealthy alumni. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, he's not just a retired basketball player. He earned LeBron James-type money in the 90s, and he won an Olympic gold medal. He's an incredibly wealthy and popular and skilled basketball player. He is, he is at the top of his peers. And he gave an alumni donation to, as an alumni to his school to build a building. This is uh, the, the, the whole booster issue from a bird's eye view, which is where you wanted to go. Mm-hmm. The booster rule is trying to prevent people acting on behalf of the athletic department who you don't know about. So if the athletic department can't recruit James as a, you know, a freshman, sophomore, and junior in high school, then you can't have a third party do it. That's what the booster rule is about. It is not about catching people who give a million dollars to their university to build a building to honor other alumni who are going to come back and supposedly give money to the university because they're happy they're being uh, honored. So, so from a bird's eye view, if you look functionally at what you're trying to capture, you're not trying to capture good deed alumni uh, giving gigantic sums to the university for alumni purposes. You're trying to capture the person <clears throat> who is trying to evade the recruitment rules. And that wasn't done here. Rick Johnson is the voice that you hear. He has uh, represented athletes against the NCAA and, and, and won. The part of the saga, Rick, that I'm not sure observers, most observers realize, because I didn't until I read into it, is that the payment from Penny to Weissman's mom was actually disclosed to the NCAA way back before the kid was even a student and his eligibility was certified. Isn't that, isn't that right? So my question, if I got that right, why and what prompted the NCAA to reopen this and what is it that you think they found now that they didn't realize when they reviewed this many, many months ago? My understanding, because I don't have the NCAA documents, but my understanding is similar to yours, that the uh, 
you know, all incoming freshmen have to have their eligibility certified. So you're talking about 100, 125,000 incoming freshmen to Division One, Two, II, and Three who are having their eligibility certified. And because, uh, you know, two questions ago you said, hey, this could look bad, uh, they disclosed it because somebody could create a narrative that makes it look bad. Mm-hmm. So my understanding is they fully disclosed the gift or loan to James's mother, whichever one it was, and that wasn't a problem because Penny's not a booster, and uh, as, as long as he's not a booster, uh, as far as NCA rules go, any friend can contribute moving expenses to James and his mother. Um, that's not prohibited. And uh, so why so, reopen it? Uh, so why reopen it now? And what did they find now that they didn't know back then? Well, and, and my understanding is that this is the third look at it, that, that oh. there was an intervening summertime look at it and that the uh, NCAA told James and, and the coach that they shouldn't have certified him. But since they told him he was OK and the time they told him he was OK, he could have withdrawn uh, his commitment from uh, from Memphis and gone somewhere else. So so this viola- th- this alleged violation is only if he's at Memphis. If he went to University of Kentucky, where he originally committed, uh, the coach giving moving expenses to his mom, assuming the coach is a booster, is not a violation if he goes to Kentucky. Right. So basically, they pulled the rug out from him, and the NSA said, hey, we kind of pulled the rug out on you. Maybe we'd look at this different, but we're not going to back out on what we said. Then the week of, of the season starting, they come up with, uh, oh, you're likely ineligible. So it's the third time they're looking at this. And the only way that happens is, is if somebody from the outside who has influence with the NSA intervenes and complains. Think about who has the interest to intervene and complain. All the spurn, all the uh, the spurn coaches that he that he passed up on to go to the, to go to Memphis, right? Yeah, and you know th- there was only one that he actually committed and then decommitted from. Yeah. <laughs> so and that's Kentucky you know, the, the, and John Calipari. You believe you believe as you're sitting here with me today that Calipari raised a stink and said, "Hey, I, I we got to open reopen this up." because uh, he was mad that he, he decommitted from Kentucky and went to Memphis, which, by the way, is where Calipari used to coach. Listen, as a lawyer, we're always looking, and I'm a civil lawyer, but you know, if you're a criminal lawyer, you watch TV and you watch lawyers, you're looking for motive. So any, any coach within the D1 system would have enough clout to call up the NCAA and complain. But which coaches have a motive to do that? Who has an incentive to do that? There's only one that I'm aware of, but I have no personal knowledge that he did it. Mm-hmm. But, it but how else does this happen? It does not happen by itself. Because think about this. The NSA is going through 100, 125,000 uh, eligibility certifications. You think somehow someone's going back and looking at closed no. files and saying, no. we should reexamine this? No. Somebody intervened. And somebody who had enough power to intervene, intervened. It's speculation, but, but who else would do it? Got it. After digesting lots of what you're saying here and some of your other clippings, I've been reading a little bit about some of your other interviews. This is just a guess. You tell me if I'm wrong. It sounds like that Rick Johnson is somewhat disappointed that Wiseman's team backed down because a win here might have empowered future student-athletes to go toe-to-toe with the NCAA. Yeah, but let me break this down. You know, I didn't write about this until 
the, the lawsuit was filed, the decisions had been made, and, uh, and, and people started saying in the, in the media just nakedly, oh, well, this is a terrible violation, and you, know, you can't give money to a player. Well, that's neither true nor false. You have to know which rule you're under. You have to know which exceptions apply. So there's a whole bunch of nuances that you have to know before you could say whether that's true or not true. And I was just pissed off that people were, were looking at it that way. Um, so I had to, so when, when these people made the decision that they did, this, that's the time the strategy had to be built. When the president and the athletic director decided that they were not going to suspend this guy, and, and, and essentially be the, the first college president to take on the NCAA. That's a pretty big strategic decision. So you better think that out. You better, you better have your board of trustees behind you. Um, I, I can't imagine they didn't think this out um, because that, that's a significant decision. And yes, I absolutely agree with that because the NCAA is a member organization and the, the NCAA has a, a rule that's on the first page of their rule book called presidential control. At the end of the day, the president of each university is personally responsible for all compliance issues with the NCA and has personally delegated the right to make final decisions on college athletes' eligibility. And I use the, co- the word college athlete. Uh, student athlete was invented to deny these kids workman's comp. So I call them college athletes. And uh, uh, um, I was happy to see a university president standing up saying, hey, am I going to let some functionary at the NCA, meaning if you're looking at the organizational chart, maybe five, six levels down from the top, mm-hmm. does that person get to make the decision? Uh, or does the president of Memphis, uh, University of Memphis, uh, Dr. Rudd, Dr. Rudd is far more qualified and competent to make a decision on eligibility than, than you know, any of these, these you know, essentially bureaucrats at, at the NCA. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the rules uh, provide that he can assert that power. But over the years, as you know, the, the, yeah. the, the members of the NCA have been pummeled by the NCA. And so they're, they're at the point where pretty much the NCA looks at them funny and they collapse. Mm-hmm. So, so, so this, was a, a, this was a huge deal for college athlete empowerment to, to say, and, and, and for universities themselves, for, for a significant university to say, we are going to assert our rights under our agreement with the NCA. And, and the NCA doesn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. And you know, so, so, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go. Well, so, so from, you know, from the college athlete um, welfare point of view, I was tickled pink. Now, also from James's point of view, if, if I was his attorney, I'd be tickled pink. You've, you, 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 you get an injunction. You've got the president and the athletic director on your side saying, uh, we don't think there's a, there's an eligibility issue here, but if there is, uh, we'll take the heat later on. I mean, that's the best place a player can be. In the in the meantime, it's- Rick. In the meantime, though, while this is all playing out, you've got guys like Jay Billis and Seth Davis and many of the other kind of national quote unquote NCAA experts 
kind of uh, ragging on the guy and his team for sticking up the middle finger to the NCAA. And I also found interesting, get your reaction to that, I also found interesting that Chase Young, right down the street from where you sit in Cleveland, Chase Young at Ohio State, the football controversy, that's blossoming at the same time as the Wiseman deal. And you've got Young admitting to receiving a loan to travel his girlfriend to the Rose Bowl. And the way he kind of went about responding to the NCAA, I was wrong. I'll, I'll gladly accept the punishment. In many ways, for my money, made Wiseman and his team look bad because he was going a different route. Your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, uh, uh, Chase Young didn't have any choice. Ohio State suspended his eligibility. The NCAA does not have jurisdiction over the college athletes unless and until the university suspends their eligibility. And every suspension is indefinite. So all the punishments and terms are decided by the NCAA as a condition of reinstatement. And uh, so he had no choice. Uh, his, his school followed the, the, the protocol, which, again, is not mandatory, but people believe it's mandatory mm-hmm. that they have to immediately suspend this kid, and they don't. Um, and and uh, so, you know, that's why it was so important what Dr. Rudd was doing. And my understanding was people were talking about a third of a season suspension for, uh, for OSU's kid, and uh, I believe – once Memphis challenged uh, the NCA, they had a quickie resolution with Ohio State, right. so that the so that the NCA can appear now yeah. to be reasonable. <laughs> if, right. if Memphis wouldn't have happened, yeah. the Ohio State kid would have gotten hammered. Ah. But now, but now they're going to use that as look how reasonable we are. Yeah. And when they hammer Memphis, yeah. they're going to say, well, if you just would have played ball and done the right thing, then you would have gotten the OSU result. Yeah. And everyone's going to be swayed by that. And then all these talking heads like like Jay Billis, who doesn't know a damn thing, you know, he's he's claims to be a lawyer, uh, I, I asked him, tell me every bylaw that he violated, and it, it, it took 10 times to get that, and then I wrote him back, and I said, everything you just said is wrong, and here's why, and I went through every single rule that he'd mentioned, and I said, what's your response? Well, I don't agree with you. I said, okay, you don't agree with me. What's your analysis as to why I'm wrong? He doesn't have any. Seth Davis just spouts off whatever he wants to say. I call him on it. He doesn't come back with any justification. All of these talking heads who claim to know something about law and sports, most of them don't. And, and uh, in my opinion, Bilas and, and Seth Davis, and who I don't think is a lawyer, but I don't know for sure, uh, they don't know anything about this stuff. But they're perfectly happy to open their mouths and shout. And, and in my opinion, when you're out there affecting public relations, public attitudes towards a very young man, you know, who, who will be perceived as either the victim or the bad guy. It, you know, these people have a responsibility as journalists, which is what they're supposed to be, to actually do fact-checking, to actually not assume that the NSA is correct, and, uh, you know, maybe interview a few people. But they don't do that. They just go on their, their talk shows and, and jabber. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I find that infuriating. What's your overall opinion on the NCAA finally being pressured into shifting its position a little bit on players profiting from their likeness after some of these states have lined up to pass individual legislation, Rick? The, the NCAA hasn't switched their position at all. They're just engaged in third and fourth tier chess. Uh, they, they, their name, image, and likeness committee came out and said, we're not doing anything but we're going to tell our members they should do something by 2021. 
And in response to that, the, the legislator in Ohio who was going to introduce a bill didn't introduce it because, quote, we'll wait to see what the NSA says in two years. Well, great. This is what the NSA has been doing for decades is, is, is if they get ruffled enough, they do some vague offer and they kick the can and people lose interest. So, you know, the, the, the so-called California bill um, that, that people are calling the, you know, the Fair Pay to Play Act. I mean, all you have to do is pick it up. It's two pages long. It is not the Fair Pay to Play Act. It's not called that. Even the governor of California who signed it and went on national television called it by the wrong name. <laughs> I mean, that, that to me is astonishing. And, and all that, that act is so poorly written. But no matter how poorly written it is, it's not effective till January of 2023. And it has no remedy provisions in it. Uh, how, you know, who's going to enforce it? How? And, uh, you know, none of that is mentioned. And at the end of the day, the college athletes would have to hire lawyers to sue their schools to get their rights under this. I, I, I mean, I, I think the amount of progress forward on behalf of the college athletes has been minimal. And when people use the term student-athlete that was invented as propaganda by the NSA, as admitted by Byers in his book, and, and when the, the sponsor of that California bill uses the term student-athlete, when the congressman uh, and the senator in, the, in, uh, in, in Congress use the word student-athlete, that's an immediate sign that they're not college athlete rights advocates, that they don't know the history of what's happened to college athletes, and they don't know how manipulative the NCAA is. He's Rick Johnson. He's a Cleveland-based attorney who has battled and beaten the NCAA in court over the last decade, obviously a college athlete advocate, and we're thrilled to have you. Rick, thanks for being a part of Mitch Unfiltered. Mitch, thanks for having me on, and you have a great week. The voice of attorney Rick Johnson in Cleveland, who has represented student-athletes for more than a decade. You think he's got something to say about James Wiseman and Seth Davis and Jay Billis? Daniel's Broiler brings you the ultimate Husky Cougar event on Monday, November the 25th at 6 p.m. Daniel's Downtown brings you the Apple Cup Wine Dinner, hosted by football legends Damon Heward and Drew Bledsoe. This Apple Cup Wine Dinner, just days before the Apple Cup, will feature 90-plus rated wine. Wine from Damon Heward, Passing Time, and the 90-plus rated wine of Drew Bledsoe, Double Back. And it's your chance to meet these iconic quarterbacks. There's more. Daniels will be serving an incredible four-course gourmet dinner. Your entree is a USDA prime filet mignon with all the fixings. Other courses include seared New Bedford sea scallops, seared golf prawn salad, and a cinnamon apple tart dessert. VIP tickets are $300 plus tax and service and starts at 5 p.m. at the Rick House Whiskey Bar, general admission tickets, 225 plus tax and service. This is the ultimate Husky Cougar event, replete with iconic quarterbacks and their wine. So go to DanielsBroiler.com under the events section to make a reservation. It's the Apple Cup Wine Dinner, Monday, November the 25th at 6 p.m. at Daniels Downtown, a world-class Apple Cup event. Unfiltered. It's the stump the band question that is and will be asked more frequently in Seattle than anywhere else, especially with the NHL returning to the Pacific Northwest. Who was the first ever Stanley Cup champion? 
Kevin Tyson, the author of uh, the book, When It Mattered Most, is with us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Do you want to, Kevin, kind of ceremoniously answer that question as kind of throwing out the first pitch in this interview? Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's the first American team to win the Stanley Cup, and it's the Seattle Metropolitans. So it's actually the 24th year that the Cup had been awarded. But the, the Seattle Metropolitans were the first American-based team to ever win the Cup. Okay, so first American-based team to win the Cup. Mm-hmm. I'm, not cer- I'm not certain whether I'm more fascinated and curious by the story of the Metropolitans as you wrote it or how a former walk-on for the Pac-10 champion University of Washington baseball team and a local AAU baseball coach, a non-hockey fan, and the furthest thing from an author came to write this book. Explain that to me. How? how why are you the guy writing this book, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty uh, wild confluence of events. Uh, you know, I was asked to help uh, promote the centennial in, in 2017, and I laughed. I didn't even know that the Metropolitans existed. I didn't know <laughs> that they'd won the cup. Uh, and, and I was fascinated with the story. And, and like everyone else, uh, you know, I had just read Boys in the Boat and looked at this and thought it would be a pretty neat story. And so I started pitching authors that I knew to write it. And uh, I never got a response, to be perfectly honest, and uh, sort of let it go. And then the, the cup actually came out in, in December of 2017. And uh, we had a big, huge blowout for that. And it was incredible just spending a day with the Stanley Cup and seeing how revered it is. And uh, at that point, I was completely hooked and talked to my wife and complained for a while that no one would write the book. And she finally looked at me and said, why don't you write it? You know, and, and sort of being the, the ex-athlete thinking you can do anything. I went, oh, yeah, no problem. I can do that. So uh, it took me a year. It took 54 weeks. Uh, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. You know, I think there's multiple points where I, I really started laughing, like, what did I get myself into? But when it was done, you know, it was magic. It, it The story was so good, it was, it was truly tough to screw up. But... Uh, you know, it, it was a great experience. It really was. I'm the, really glad that I did it, and I, I found something I'm very passionate about in writing. So the, the, I'm, I'm glad I did it. The name of the book is When It Mattered Most, the story of the first Stanley Cup champions and the war to end all wars. Why do you think nobody returned your calls or even responded uh, in terms of writing the book, and what kind of reaction did you receive? You must have gotten resistance as you shared some of your early writings with people who said, Kevin, you're not an author. What are you doing here? Now, looking back, I can completely understand why people didn't respond. You know, I mean, if a story doesn't captivate you from the beginning and if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to be able to write well about it. And so, uh, you know, I think if people pitch stories to me at this point, I don't know if I would jump on any. Uh, There's other stories that that will capture me as as I move forward and, and I'll hopefully write more about them. So I do understand now. Uh, you know, and it, it was funny, like the, the feedback was not very positive to begin with. Uh, you know, you, you kind of sit down. I wrote the end of the book first, so I wrote the last five chapters. And I did it as I was watching the NCAA uh, baseball tournament two years ago, so the College World Series, and I was super passionate about sports and excited. And I knocked those out pretty well and then started with chapter one, and it was probably the worst thing that's ever been written. Uh, you know, it was so bad that the first editor rewrote it just completely uh, in her own words, uh, didn't tell me that she was going to do that, and, and that was sort of shocking. And, and then, uh, you know, through probably about 20 drafts of that first chapter, we finally got something that was workable and sent it off to the agents, the literary agents back east. And the feedback came uh, back that it, it wasn't of high enough literary quality, and they wanted to bring a ghostwriter in. So, uh, luckily, the publisher that, that did it for me locally was uh, he trusted me and he knew it, and he just kept laughing and said, Just keep writing, you got this. And, and I knew I did too. I knew I was going to figure it out. 
out, and I knew I was close. And it's sort of interesting, you know, as you write it and you get all the way done, you, you know, you look at it and you're like, ah, oh, it's really, it's, it's good, but it doesn't read like a real book, you know. And then it goes through, I did four revisions myself, and then an editor comes in and does a pretty heavy uh, edit on it. And then I did one final revision, and you do that final revision where you're just strengthening language and tightening up sentences, and all of a sudden you read it and you're like, it actually reads like a real book. This is incredible. You know, so it was a, a pretty exciting uh, process, and I laughed. Like, no one could tell me that up front, right? No one was like, oh, don't worry about it. It'll come together at the end. I just kept getting, uh, I'll keep writing. And then as I told people that story afterwards, they're like, oh, yeah, that's completely normal. Yeah. You know, that's why they call it a draft. You so. said, you, what's been the reaction? You said to me the other day when we spoke, you said to me, it's, it's Hoosiers. It's, it's Hoosiers yeah. on ice, and it would, it would fit the big screen. What kind of reaction have you gotten? That's the first question. And really, the biggest question before I ask you to tell us the short version of the 1917 story with the obvious backdrop of World War I. The second question, and most important, is, is Kevin Tyson a better author or a better 1998 catcher of a Pac-10 <laughs> baseball team, Pac-10 champion baseball team? Go ahead, take those two on. Boy, that's a tough question. I think I'm probably, uh, it's more, writing is more natural to me than baseball was. I really had to work and, and grind and, and compete and, and do those things. Hitting was always pretty easy for me in baseball, but uh, I do think that the writing, uh, once I, I shook the rust off a little bit and, and got into it, it, it felt really natural and it just felt like what I, I was always meant to do. So uh, I would go with that one. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the feedback of the book has been uh, incredible, right? And I think that's one of the most scary things that I've done in life is you spend a year of your life, you know, pouring yourself into this thing and then you put it out there and then people actually read it. And there's just this terrifying, you know, two or three week period of, is this going to be terrible? You know, is it not going to resonate with people? Is the writing horrible? And all of a sudden the feedback starts coming in of like, you know, if people could really connect emotionally to the characters and to the story. And yeah, I mean, I laughed the same people that told me it wasn't of high enough literary quality, started shipping it off to, uh, you know, movie producers in, over wow. the course of the summer. And, yeah. you know, one of the first people they sent it to was Robert Redford, which just Woo! completely made me crack up laughing, you know. And, <laughs> and realistically, the chances of him being the person that buys it, you know, is probably not great. But it definitely made me feel good that, that you know, people really thought that the, the writing was great and that the story was great and, and that it resonated with people. So. I know it's an unfair question because I have the book in front of me and people need to read it. It takes a lot longer than a podcast interview to tell us, but give us the short version of why you think this is Hoosiers on Ice, the 1917 story of this group, this uh, Seattle Metropolitan's team that was assembled of guys. I mean, the star player was Canadian who ended up going to jail, as I, as I understand it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, they're all Canadian uh, players or, or athletes. Okay. You know, five of them end up living in Seattle, and, and they're still grandkids and all that stuff in the region. But you just you had this team that uh, had high expectations. You know, four of them uh, had already won the Stanley Cup with the, the Toronto franchise in, in 1914 or 15, I believe. And so mm -hmm. people thought immediately this team was going to be strong, uh, and, and they really struggled. You know, they just they got blitzed uh, to, to begin the season, and I think they're one and three with the worst offense and the worst defense in the league, uh, and then they turn it around and just really compete, you know, and, and uh, it's a pretty 
incredible stretch run. And, and the funny thing about the stretch run is, is literally the day that the, the Seattle newspapers start talking about the, you know, title of hopes and all these aspirations is the day that, uh, that the Zimmerman telegram happens, right? Which is, is basically the, the event that pulls the U.S. into World War One. So you have six weeks of uh, huge, massive intrigue on, a, on the you know, global uh, sort of scale and incredible hockey, and it all comes together, uh, you know, in late March of, of 1917, and, you know, I've told the story that the very first day of research, I get to two days before game one of the final, and there's a massive headline in the post-intelligencer that says, Tsar abdicates, you know, and so you have the Russian Tsar abdicates his throne two days before game one, and then literally just an incredible uh, competitive uh, four-game series that takes place, and then six days later, the U.S. declares war on Germany and enters World War one so it was really just this incredible two-week uh time period and uh an awesome you know uh, sports uh you know achievement on top of it the so star it of the te- the star of the team is a guy named bernie morris who mm-hmm. yeah. uh, as i understand it through your book individually outscored the canadians in the series it was a best of five series back then he scored how many goals 14 goals he scores 14 goals in the series and he's actually not the best player he's the oh. Uh, he's their leading scorer, certainly, and, and he sets the all-time scoring record for the league that year. It's a record that's never broken, and he's a guy that's orphaned at nine years old and, and literally had every bad thing happen to him imaginable. Uh, and, and Frank Foyston's probably the star player of the team. So there's three guys from the Metropolitans that are Hall of Famers for their time in Seattle. They were all here for all nine seasons, and it's Frank Foyston, Jack Walker, and Hap Holmes. Uh, and, and Bernie is this kind of broken, uh, you know, humble person that gets a second chance with the Metropolitans and takes advantage of it and uh, he goes off in, in the final. I mean, it's really remarkable what he does and, and then you know, as you said, he, he basically the day that the 1919 playoffs begins gets arrested for draft evasion. So he's a Canadian citizen living in Seattle and the U.S. military uh, inducts him and, and it's six days before the armistice, or five days, excuse me, before the armistice is signed. So he's not even going to go fight and at that point he's a really famous, you know, well-known athlete on the West coast and, and they want to make an example out of someone and you know he he kind of screws up the, the process and he ends up losing a year of his life to wow. uh, Alcatraz wow. so wow. he spends a year in Alcatraz craziness yeah. Would, uh, yeah would the movie be if there was a movie do you think it would be about him or do you think it would be about the team or a combination I think of it's both? about the team yeah. you know I, I think yeah. the, the story with the team is that good yeah. you know and he's certainly a central character and, and Pete Muldoon is the head coach yep. you know yep. and he's uh, he goes on to become the first head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks and so uh, he's a really just famous guy in Seattle. Uh, Frank Foyston's great. Royal Brome is actually the uh, official scorer. So he's, I think, 22 <laughs> or 23 years old and yeah. the official scorer of the Metropolitan. So, yeah. I mean, can you believe that? He covered the Metropolitans, the Sonics, the Mariners, and oh the Seahawks. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I never yeah. thought of that. That's amazing. Yeah. And they played – what was there, an arena that was down next to the old Olympic Hotel, which is now the Fairmont, the old Four Seasons? Yep. Where, where did right. they play? What, how many people were in that, that arena? What was that? So like? it held – there's 2,500 seats, and they could get it up to 3,500 with standing room only. And it's basically the courtyard where the IBM building and where Benihana used to be. So that was ah, a, a, an okay. arena. Yeah. And, you know, and it's great, like, in the in – the, 
the bigger games, there'd be kids up on top of the roof looking through the skylights and, you know, over the transoms in the door. And, and, and yeah, it, it was packed. It was The city was very passionate about this team, and they supported the team well, and, and the team won. It was, you know, they were the top team in the league for the, the nine years that they were here. So and then they won the most. You talk about 1919. That, that obviously, that series was canceled, right? And it was – or, or yeah, did, it, yeah, it was canceled. in the 1920 series, the Metropolitans – uh, we're in. It was canceled after five games because of. No, that's 1919. 1919. So the Spanish flu pandemic yes. hit Seattle, yes. and the series is tied 2 2 to 1, and the health department comes in and cancels the series. Oh, my God. And one God. of the Canadians' players ends up dying from the Spanish flu. And, oh, my God. You, know, you have all the soldiers coming back from World War One, and they're spreading this flu to, to you know everywhere in the globe. And so I think it, 25% of the world's population was affected by this. And it was a weird strain in that it, it predominantly killed uh, young, healthy males. Yeah. You know, and so usually the. the flu hits you know the elderly or the sick or, or things like this and, and this particular strain hit young healthy males uh, and the Canadians you know offered a forfeit and give the Metropolitans the cup and the Metropolitans won't accept it so the series goes down all they tie. all they had to do Kevin was not have a tie in that one game they should have played Correct. if they would have just played overtime they would have had we would yep. have a winner maybe we'd have another another Stanley yeah. Cup title for the Metropolitans right yeah absolutely yeah and in the 1920 they lose in five games oh no that's so they're right. on the road okay, they're so in Ottawa yeah. I got the years screwed up so it's 1919 yeah. that was canceled after five games then 1920 so uh to bring it full circle I don't know full circle is maybe not the right expression uh this is the voice by the way of Kevin Tyson I'm not sure I as I said at the beginning I'm not sure whether I'm more captivated by the story of the Metropolitans and I don't mean to disrespect by that or just the fact that here's a guy who walked on to the University of Washington baseball team played a little you play a little professional ball played a little minor league ball is that right yeah I played the angel system okay yeah. and uh ends up writing a book about a hockey team and he doesn't even like hockey or doesn't even know anything about hockey so my my, my last questions for the uh, for the for the interview I understand and I don't know this to be true that the Metropolitan's name is not even under consideration for this new NHL team in Seattle. And after, you know, thumbing through the book and talking to you the other day and now talking to you today, I'm not an NHL guy. I grew up in Florida. We didn't have NHL when I when I was around. I'm hearing something that screams that the Metropolitan should be the name, kind of like the Sonics would be the name of the next NBA team here. Why not? Yeah, so I've been not told by anyone that that actually has a say, but just that the NHL has a Metropolitan's division on the East Coast and that they don't want to change that. Uh, and, and I'm kind of fine with it. Like the Sonics, I want the Sonics to come back, and I want the team name to be the Sonics with the Metropolitans. You know, if they decide to do something different, I think that's fine. Uh, I'd love to see them incorporate the Metropolitan's logo into the new yeah, design somehow. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I do think it'll be really neat to see some of the throwback games or if they have a stadium game and, and, and wear those old well, they got to raise a banner. They got to raise a yeah, banner and, like in game one of the, of the of the franchise's existence, whenever that is, 2000, what is it, 2021, 2021? Yeah. yeah, I think they will. Yeah. I think they are going to raise the banners. You know, and in a, a championship is a community's, uh, you know, championship. It, it should be something that represents our city. And, and like I said earlier, there's still grandkids from these guys that are running around. So they should absolutely raise the banner. Fantastic. And I've been told that they will. So I, I think that, that that's going to happen. Fantastic. And I will say I love hockey now. You well, know, you I mean, this, 
didn't grab me, and, and it is as pure a form as competition as you can possibly have. So I'm super excited for the franchise to start, and you know I think it's great for our city. Well, you were a catcher, so I guess you'd be a goalie, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Tyson, uh, as I said, back in, what was it, 1998, played on a Washington ba- uh, baseball team that won the Pac-10 then, the Pac-10 uh, title. He, uh, he went on. He still coaches in the area. In fact, you coach a lot of AAU guys in the summer and some of the some of the real great baseball talent that have left this area and gone on to bigger and better things in college baseball and beyond into the pros. The name of the book is When It Mattered Most, the story of the first Stanley Cup champions in the war to end all wars. Where can we get it? Where can people that have just listened to this get the book easiest, Kevin? It's, it's on Amazon and it's in all the independent bookstores in the community. So third place, uh, Elliott Bay, uh, you know, Queen Anne books where, where I live, all those places have the the, That's awesome. uh, the books stocked. So. Hey, hey, congratulations. What a great story you are and what a great story they are. And I got a feeling that we're going to be hearing from you again as 2021 October approaches yeah, and Seattle so. has the NHL. I, I can't wait to speak with you again on the, on the show. Maybe the next time we'll talk, we'll talk a little Major League Baseball. Talk a little Mariners. I, I said Major League Baseball and I said Mariners in the same sentence. Maybe I should uh, <laughs> rethink that. Uh, Kevin Tyson, when it mattered most, the story of the first Stanley Cup champions and the war to end all wars. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Unfiltered. I've grown to love this last segment, but I'm wondering how many people, what does the data say? How many people actually make it when we do these three-hour podcasts? Do they make it to the final 15 or 20 minutes? It's my favorite segment. I mean, I I love doing the interviews. I love talking with you in the first segment about Miles Garrett and the Seahawks and Mr. Postseason and all that stuff. But I love when we do the, when we get like 10 topics in a short period of time. Quick comments on 10 topics, but I'm not sure anybody ever hears this. I think we're the only ones who ever hear this. <laughs> See, you would have loved Do you doing... listen to it? Yeah, I listen to the whole thing. You do? Yes. I know. It's embarrassing if anyone were to like come up to my car and hear me, see me listening to myself. Do you really be... listen? You don't fast forward through anything? I don't. Mostly... Not one thing. Not the commercials, nothing. No, because, well, no. Not the commercials either. <laughs> There's really not a ton. But I don't want you to ask me about something from another episode. Ah, you get caught. Well, that and it, caught, it caught with your pants down. I tell the casters that I hire, the talent all the time, go back and watch your shows. It'll make you so better. Now you have to do that. I feel obligated, even though I hate it. So you like make it myself. to the other stuff segment. I do, yeah. You want to kick off the other stuff segment? Had a fun weekend, a fun Saturday night. I was working Saturday night, you know. I had a little one-off gig. I hosted an eSports tournament at JBLM. You didn't know I was an on-air talent, did you? I know what I'm doing in front of a camera. Okay. Can you believe this? Uh, you said so many things there that I that were like a different Stay language with me to now. me. Okay. Stay with so me. you hosted an esports thing at JBLM. All right. I JBLM got it. for those who don't know, uh, Joint Base Lewis sure, McCord, sure. huge uh, military base. Was it was it just uh, service people that were playing the video games? That's a great question. Active service members from all the branches I ask only. Great questions. I'm one of the fa- most unbelievable <laughs> interviewers I, of all time. Oh God, I've heard oh, that. You're such a good interviewer, that guy. Oh, he's the best interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, so, so active service members and, only. And why do I care about this Saturday night? Did you? Well, I was the host, so yeah. I kind of directed and did the interviewing because I'm a great interviewer myself. <laughs> the person doing play by play. Oh, by the way, the video game that we used, the tournament yeah. was NBA 2K. Which oh, is, no Forza. 
which is great. No, this was a separate. This separate guy movie. that just closed those doors. Yeah. NBA 17 year old Max mo- movie mogul Max. He yeah. can he can light you up in mm-hmm. NBA 2K. Yeah. yeah, these guys were pretty good. So we had yeah. 32 service members yeah. participate, and we got it down. To, we had a bracket and the whole thing. Wow. Yeah, it was really. It's Why really a cool thing. Why didn't you invite me to come out? I had nothing to do Saturday. Oh, it's kind of a long drive though, as I found it's out. Okay. But, but the guy I that get did, stuck there every time I go from Portland to Seattle and yeah. back and forth on the way back on Sundays from little youth basketball Always tournaments. You there. get stuck right there. Yep. For, uh, for an hour, I'm there. I'm just, yeah. Okay, go so ahead. So we had multiple games going on at yeah. once, and the person doing play-by-play was a fellow named Dick Fane. Remember old Dick Fane? The name is remotely, fam- yeah, vaguely yeah. familiar. Yeah. Yeah, so he was doing play-by-play, and yeah. the color comment, I, I don't even know how they found him. We had a color commentator, too. Well, wait, how did this all, I, you, so you weren't the organizer of all this? No, I was asked to do it. Uh, there's a technology company in the area that okay. reached who I kind of okay. know, and they asked me to. Richard L. Fain was the play-by-play. He guy. was great, by and the you, way. Too. And you were what? I was the host, so I okay. would interview the players, and I would, okay. you know, whatever. Yeah. And then uh, our color commentator was Amon Green. You're kidding me. Former Seahawk fumbler. <laughs> well, I didn't say that to him. His biceps were figured out. <laughs> Sent him out because he couldn't, couldn't hold on to the football. He sent him out to be the Packers' all-time leading rusher, sure by the did. way. Sure and, did. In the Green Bay Packer Hall yeah, of Fame but he as did, well. But he did have fumbleitis here in Seattle. His first Do you remember year. that? And he, yeah. I don't think he could play over Ricky Waters. Is he like too. a local guy? Is Amon Green a local guy? They fly him in to do this. He's He lives in Wisconsin still, but they flew him in to do it. Yeah, he's like a big streamer. He loves video games. He's into that world. So it was kind of cool yeah. hanging out and talking to him. Yeah. And, yeah, I was gonna show you really quick. So I there's no a, a Mon Green business card. He's got a business card. <laughs> he's got a business card. Yeah. So it was. Well, what's fun. his business? Uh, he's a director <laughs> of business development commentator. I don't know what he does, but he he loves broadcasting. Is there a, he wants is, to get is there a punchline to the story? Is that it? Well, the fact that I work, I haven't seen Dick Fane forever. Yeah. It was so did cool. Did he know you? Did he, or did he big time you? Well, I'm the one that invited him. I, I, oh, so you're the one who set the whole thing I up. Su- I suggested him. I oh, said, okay. this guy can do it in his sleep. I mean, yeah, he's been doing yeah, play-by-play yeah, forever. Yeah. And he was great. So yeah. it was really cool to work with Dick. And Good. It was a cool event Good. at JBLM for all the all the service members. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Does Alabama still deserve to be in the final God. four of college football with Tua out? I have that in my notes. I have I mean, Tua we, out for the year. We, Bama this does is the not other stuff. Now, just so you know, this is the other stuff segment, and yeah. we've already discussed this with Rick Neuheisel uh, on an earlier segment of 66. I'm sure you did, yeah. So, okay. He's your college so, football so, guy. So real quickly, what do you, does it change the way you feel about Alabama? And by the way, did he have the, the Bo Jackson injury? People are saying he had the hip the, thing. Ugh. He never came. He never made it back. That sounds, he's out for the year, I thought I saw. Yeah, Bo Jackson oh, never Bo ja- really oh, made I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Are we no. worried about like the the Elfins or somebody <sighs> drafting him now because yes. of this hip thing? You should be worried. Yeah. That's did a he, bad he, did he like ruin his his NFL career with and, what one shot? Like and he was in the game. People were criticizing. Well, I was gonna say Nick if you Saban. ever wanted to hate Saban anymore as a Dolphin fan who could have had this young Tua guy, he was in at thirty five to seven. He was still playing. Saban had him in at 35 But it was to the seven. second quarter. All right. You're up 35-7. You got five yeah, five-star quarterbacks. I, believe me, I get in line. I find really yeah, right. stupid reasons to make fun of Nick Saban. I, I know that people think he should. It was the second quarter of a football game, so he's going to play him a half. Yeah. He's really – he's really – and look – I can't be all that disappointed because it may be the end of Alabama's candidacy for the Final Four, which makes me happy. Oh, it's the end. He, they don't belong in it now. No. What if they went out and they beat Auburn with the backup quarterback? Auburn on the road in the last game of the season after facing Western Carolina. I don't th- – Western <laughs> Carolina. Cat- cat- yeah, <laughs> one of those Nick Saban powder puffs. Oh, That's right. Well, yeah. if you're asking me what my gut says, I'm saying they're not as good without him. I'll obviously. give you another look at it. Did the Pac-12 – was the Pac-12 the biggest beneficiary of the Tua injury on Saturday? 
Oh, the yeah. Utah Oregon. Did the Utah Oregon winner, if they both go undefeated and play in the Pac-12 title game, like everybody expects them to do, did that winner of that game that's going to be played, did that winner prosper the most from the Tua injury? That they would yeah. now leapfrog. That's right. Alabama and get into the final. You can get Alabama out of there. I'm just asking. All right, you're up. Minnesota Golden Gophers. Oh God. I was rooting for them. I thought maybe finally some new blood. And then they lose to Iowa. I didn't get to see a ton of it because I was working. Yeah. Did you see much of it? No, I didn't see any of it. I, uh, I, I figured that after the big emotional win over Penn State that they would turn around and play a pretty good Iowa team and, and maybe get knocked off. The coach kind of annoys me a little bit. But why is that? Well, he's a little, well, Fleck, he's kind of he's kind of always in your face. He's kind of, you know, rah, rah guy, a little bit corny. He's always kind of in the news. Um, I don't look, they lost. I I think I, I, I think that they might be able to still climb back into the final four discussion if they beat Ohio State. Mm, they maybe, could beat yeah. Ohio State in the um, in the championship game. I don't know, knock Ohio State off with one loss to Iowa, maybe still, and have a, Penn, a win over Penn State and a win over Ohio State and get back in the Final Four. Maybe, I don't know. I, I'm sure I asked that to, to uh, Rick. Well, yeah, Rick I was, was going to say, you already discussed this with yeah. Rick, but so we have LSU, Ohio State, Clemson all undefeated. Now we got one team with one loss. That's Am I up? Now. You're up. Did you see my video that is the most polarizing video of the week of the Monmouth basketball player Sneaking up behind the Kansas basketball player, taking the ball from him and going in for a dunk. Did you did you see that video? I don't video? think I saw that. Okay. Friday night, I think it was Friday night, Kansas, one of the top teams in the country, mm-hmm. is playing Monmouth. You could probably yeah. guess what the outcome of right, that right. game is. Monmouth, they're yeah. playing in, in they're playing in Lawrence, Kansas. Okay. And and the score is exactly one ten to fifty five. Oh, jeez. Doubled them up. And the Kansas guy walks over half court like you've seen a million and ten times, and he's gonna he's gonna run out the clock. Kansas is not gonna try to score again. Yeah. So he's just kind of dribbling the ball. He turns his back, and this Monmouth player, who's obviously very frustrated over what's happened over the last two <laughs> hours, sneaks up behind him while he's running out the clock, takes the ball, goes down the court, slams the ball down, and <laughs> slams it down, and then goes woofing into the Kansas guy's face, and then you see him say, I don't give an F. I don't give an F. Oh, God. And that video has been, that, is, that video has gone viral. It's been seen millions and millions of times, and I, I reposted it, and I got a big kick out of the fact that, like, half of the people that responded to it said, that guy is such a clown. Look at the score. What is his problem? He he just lost by fifty five, and he's woofing over a over a dunk. And then the other the other half is like, I love that guy. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. He went down fighting. He decided I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to go slam the ball in, in Lawrence, Kansas. And there's nobody in the middle. It's one of those topics that nobody's like. I don't care one way or the other. No, yeah. <laughs> you either love this guy or you think he's an absolute jerk clown. Yeah. I was wondering if you saw it. Where do you fall in? Are you think he's a jerk or do you love it? But you're first of all, you're a huge college basketball. I'm a huge fan. college. I'm sure basketball you hate fan. Kansas because they're good. Oh, every I hate year. Kansas. Of course, I hate so, Kansas. So you have to love this, right? Um, and by the way, you teach kids play every second. Don't ever give up. Play every second. Okay, but there's a lot here. Okay, all right. The Kansas guy is showing sportsmanship by not trying to score yeah, right. up 55 points, and he's <laughs> he's holding the ball to waste the, the last five <laughs> seconds of the clock. Here's where I fall on it, and I'll and I'll post it on the Mitch fo- the Mitch Unfiltered fil- f- Facebook page for the people that have it. I think most people you're like the only guy in the world hasn't seen it, but um, the way I feel about it is I'm 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 okay, and I get a giggle out of 
the fact that he snuck up behind him, took the ball, and went and slammed it. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Oh, from, from the first part to that moment, it's pretty funny, and I get a kick out of it, and I kind of like it. What I don't like about it, where, I lo- where he loses me, is when he gets in the face of the— So the guy who runs down and tries to block his dunk is the guy who's wasting out the clock. He steals it from him, so the guy goes down, and he dunks it, and he barely gets it over the rim, by the way. He okay. almost misses the dunk. Yeah, that's why he's and in Monmouth. Okay. <laughs> so he's now taking the ball away from a guy who's wasting the clock away. He's dunked it over him. He's turned a 55-point deficit into a 53-point deficit. The game is ending, <laughs> and he's in the guy's face. He's in the guy's face. So, I'm like, okay, dude. So he had you up right at the he, dunk. He was okay all the way to the, the dunk. dunk. But when he okay. started woofing yeah, at the yeah, guy, yeah. when he's down 50, who woofs at a guy when you're down 53? Right. A guy who's playing at Kansas, by the way, would yeah. probably kill you at one-on-one. So, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll post it on the Mitch Unfiltered Facebook page. Go ahead. The team of the century. I don't know if you happen to watch it. The NFL's 100 greatest oh. teams of all time. Yeah. Oh. I know. I know. It was funny because I was burning. Th- the Seahawks oh, were in there, by the way. Thanks for bringing it up. Did you see the Seahawks? They think they were like number 18 of all time. Yeah, but that's not nothing. They're it's a, good. They're a pimple on the 72 uh, Dolphins' butt. I was kind of hoping it wasn't going to be the Dolphins. Then we got what? the. What? Well, I mean, come on. Because you wanted to bring it in here and. and torment me over it because it's going to be the it's going to be the ranch dressing on the taco is but that it, what you want i guess it sort of has to be since they're the only team who's never lost but when i saw the steelers were like number two do I'm i have like, to oh, go through crap. this with you again uh, the backup it's quarterback not, it's and not the that thing. they just never lost they had to go on the road against the steelers in the fifth game of the of the season they're four and oh bob greasy hall of fame quarterback i love bob greasy breaks sure. his ankle breaks his leg I was at the game that he broke his leg. As a little kid, I remember to taking him off on the on the stretcher. They, he broke his leg against the San Diego Chargers. They stretched him out. 4-0. They're 4-0. He's the Hall of Fame quarterback. They bring in this over-the-hill guy named Earl, Earl Morrill that yeah. they got from Baltimore. He goes games 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and the first playoff game and wins them all. They win with a backup quarterback. And then, because the rules were different... They have to go on the road to a cold weather Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC. They're 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 four, they're fifteen and zero. They are fifteen and zero, and they have to go on the road and play a team in their home ballpark because they rotated it. They rotated it around the divisions instead of doing a best record. And then they win, and then Greasy comes back, and then they finish out the – come on. They not only are the only team to go untied, un, undefeated, and win a world championship, they do it with their backup quarterback, and they win on the road in the AFC championship. How much more do you want them to do? What do you have to do to win team of the century? Come on. This is ridiculous. They should have stopped football. <laughs> should have closed it. in your mind. Just close it up. It's done. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I didn't mean to light the fuse on that. <laughs> Go ahead. And I can't believe that was one of mine. You're up. <laughs> okay. Tell me, you didn't see the Kansas thing. Tell me you've seen, uh, I think I mentioned TikTok with you. I, I, yeah, I, my daughter is obsessed with okay. it. Okay. Yeah. My, my kids, uh, especially my little one, they, they, do TikTok. they do TikTok. Tell me you know the story about Trevor Lawrence the Clemson quarterback and the 16-year-old girl who looks like Trevor Lawrence. Do you know that story? I happen to see that one, yes. Is that not the one of the greatest things you've ever seen? Is it's, that not awesome? It's hilarious. And the way she he, met him this weekend. Oh, is that right? Yeah, before the game. She went to the game and yeah. she met him. And it's unbelievable. Was he familiar with her, do we think? No, he knows the whole story. Oh, okay. he, he, he brokered the whole deal. He wanted to meet her. Oh, gotcha. That's so cool. I haven't seen that. But for our people who don't yeah. know, uh, Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback of the – 
Clemson Tigers. How would you describe his looks? Surfer-ish. He looks like a California kid. Would you say Long that? Long hair, thin. When I first saw him, he 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 he's got he's got kind of a feminine look to him, does he not? Yeah, I is that, that is that a terrible thing for me to say? Well, he's got like high cheekbones, got high and, cheekbones, yeah. got long blonde, really long, ha- yeah. long blonde hair, and this and this sixteen year old girl who is who looks just like him. She's she's a she's an attractive sixteen year old girl, <laughs> and she took all of his pictures, these still shots, and she posed as him, and they she did this. I I, I can't give it justice. I'll try to get it and put it on the Mitch unfiltered Facebook. It's so funny that she and then tried they to met like, this weekend. I love the fact that and they there's met. video of them meeting. I yeah, okay. pictures of them taking pictures of the two of them together. They, they look, look alike. They look like <laughs> brother and sister. It's, they look like twins. So whatever face he's making in the picture, she tries to like mock the mock exact the face. Same. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, really it's funny. Fantastic. Okay, go ahead. Uh, no football for Russell this week, but he decided to get in a little football during the Seahawks. Oh, here bye. we go. You mentioned this at the top. So. Hitting, hitting Mexico. What did I miss? He, what did I he just went to Mexico for some soccer and this with his annoyed wife. you. You called him the most annoying guy. Well, not because he goes to Mexico with his family, although yeah. I didn't think they would take a trip to Mexico on a bye week. Oh, sure they do. Really? Yeah. Did you wait till the end of the year for that? Nah. Can you really have fun knowing no. you got the Eagles? Spending his MVP money already. <laughs> <laughs> wait, I think Sierra's breaking down film with him in Cabo. Uh, but yeah, so they um, he took his family. And his wife, they went down to Cabo for a little R and R, and uh, the Wilson clam seemed to be having a good time kicking a soccer it's ball. It's good around. to be Russell Wilson. Oh, it doesn't right suck. Now. No, it's come on. I was watching this thing on the the Dream Team from '92, and yeah. it showed Jordan kind of walking around by himself. And I remember thinking, is there anybody who would be better to be than Michael Jordan in 1992? There are, I mean, not many, but Russell Wilson in 2019 is right up there. It's good to be him, isn't it? How about Tiger Woods in night in 2000? Yeah, right, exactly, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, James Harden. Do you see what James Harden did the other night? Saturday night. What, score 60 again? He or scored something? 49 points. Okay. He took 41 <laughs> shots. God. 41 oh. shots. I have never liked James Harden. I don't mean this personally. Yeah. I just, there's something about it. Oh, no. I don't, I, like, if he were on my favorite team, it would be a real kind of, it's not like, you know, how you look at guys on other teams that you dislike and you say, I really hate him. But if he ever played on your team, you would find a way to love him. Sure. I would have a hard time loving James Harden if he was on my favorite basketball What is it team. about his game you don't care for? The shots. It's just, it's just, there's and never so taking it many. inside or. Oh, he does. He takes it. He takes it to the rack. Okay. He, and he's great. He's got the step back and he's got yeah. the whole thing, but there's just something. I don't love the beard. Yeah. The beard is a little gross. And then when I, th- 41 shots. Isn't that a little obnoxious? Yeah. I know he's the leading scorer. I know he's the MVP candidate. I know that the wrestler Westbrook was out that game. But come on, 41 shots? When you saw him play That's at, obnoxious. at Arizona State, do you think he would be this good? Because well, I, I did tell not. this story all the time. Okay, go on. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't told you this story? I don't think so. I was at his last college basketball game. Oh, wait. With my oh, father. Oh, yeah, and you kept telling your dad how great this guy is, and he looked like crap. So That's they were right. playing yeah. the Syracuse Orange. It was yeah. it was like the second round of the NCAA tournament. You can look it up. His last game, he was the second round of the first round. They were at Arizona State. I was living out here. I met my dad and my brother at the game, and they're like, tell us about Arizona State. We're getting ready to watch him. It was either against Syracuse or they were playing somebody. I think it was against Syracuse. They were playing somebody else or something. And I said to the two of them, I said, see this guy, James Harden? He is going to be a star. He can be a first-round draft. You really choice. thought that because I didn't. He didn't look great. Oh. To, I didn't think he was athletic enough. I did. I I, I, oh, I figured okay. it was a foregone conclusion. I said, "Wait, do you see this guy, James?" And he was so bad. <laughs> These two guys to my to the day my dad died. He was like, he was like, I can't believe you thought that guy was any good. Now 
Now, my brother every once in a while will say, I remember when you told me. They made such – he was so bad. Hotshot, he was so bad. He looked looked like he couldn't make a youth AAU team after I just played him up. Did they win? Did you remember if uh, Arizona State won that game? No, no, it was his last game. They lost. Oh, last game. They lost to Syracuse. I think Syracuse. I think – James Harden's last game was against Syracuse, or it was at a, at a region where Syracuse wasn't, e- either way. Uh, my last thing, are we going to do Astros, Houston Astros, becoming the most disliked? Yeah. Profe- have, have they eclipsed or eclipsed the, uh, the New England Patriots as the most disliked franchise in professional sports, or are the Patriots still there? No, Patriots are still there because, I mean, yeah, they it's hired, been years of the Patriots. They hired people to install cameras in center field to specifically shoot the guys given the yeah. give the guys given the signs and then they communicated the signs to their hitters by by knocking something in the dugout yeah, a pipe there's on an, the dugout. there's an email that says from one of the front office people to the scouts a, a, a mass email that they got a hold of at the oh, at God. the athletic this was from the assistant general manager to all the Houston Astros scouts and it said something like quote one thing in specific we are looking for is picking up signs coming out of the dugout what we are looking for is how much we can see, how we would log things, if we need cameras, binoculars, etc. So please go to the game, see what you can do or can't do, and report back your findings. But you once said that this has been talked about, that we kind of know people steal signs. So I'm wondering, why is this so much worse? Is it because of the cameras and the, whole, the, Technology. the, the elaborate setup? Oh, of course. And is it technically illegal? Yeah, I think it's, it's illegal in the. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, is yeah. it against the rules of the major? Of yeah, major baseball? oh, absolutely. Using technology to steal signs, yeah. absolutely. I think Ugh. where it becomes a gray area is if you are able to, you know, through sight while you're watching the game, if you're able to break the code of the third base, the third base coach, and you know you're watching him, the and signals, you're able to break yeah. the code, and you're able to, to to pick up a sign. I don't think that that I, that that might be frowned upon, but I don't think that goes against the the spirit of baseball. Put installing cameras, yeah. technology to film to to, to and, and apparently they were doing it in 17, 18, probably 19. Pitchers are ragging them. Everybody's blowing the whistle on the Houston Astros. And you, you, you combine that with what happened in the clubhouse with the guy who now has been fired, yelling and screaming over right. domestic violence with the women, the three women. I mean, yeah. I mean, they are starting to look really. I mean, starting. They they look really really bad. It's good anyway, for the Mariners though. Know. It's good for the Mariners. What, what, how does it go? How does it help the Mariners? Whenever the the king of the division starts falling, take it. Take whatever you can take. Uh, well, the king get. the king of the division's reputation is falling. Yeah. So great. But, the the Seattle Mariners have great reputation as an organization. They're yeah. lovely that organization. But maybe, maybe the Astros are only good because they know what pitch is coming. Maybe. Who knows? You want a quick Michael Jordan gambling story before we go? Sure. There's, some, there's a, an interesting thing up for auction. So 35 years ago, Michael Jordan was at, he was a junior at North Carolina, and he hustled a North Carolina student on a pool table. And the guy owed him $5, and he wrote Jordan a check. Because yeah, that's what you're doing. I guess you don't have any cash in 1982. He wrote right. him a personal check to Mike Jordan. All right. right. Now, that check that was made out to him, it's on the auction block, and it was signed on February 27, 1984. So Jordan signed the back of it, so it's 
It's his it's autograph. Endorsed. Yeah, from it's endorsed. from 1982. Yeah. So they were betting money. Michael was up 25. A friend of the guy Jordan was beating thought Michael was hustling his buddy, so he stepped in to play Michael himself and win back some of the money he'd lost. MJ lost a few games in a row, which the co-signer says irritated Jordan, so he decided to cash out and take the five bucks he was owed. So the guy wrote him a check, and now it's up for auction. If anyone wants Mike Jordan's signature on a personal check from 1982, there you go. Thought that was interesting. And how much can I? How much is going to cost me to buy this endorsed personal check? Well, I, we don't know yet. We'll have to wait till it goes up for auction. But by the way, how long has Jordan been gambling on sports? This is when he's a junior in college. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ! So this Calm is the, so, so this is the greatest five dollars this guy ever spent because he he now has the check, right? Yeah, he does have the check. This yeah, is his check. It comes, it comes to back to him. Yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. Greatest five bucks he ever spent. Oh, my God. To F- Mike I, Jordan. Oh, yep. my God. Amazing, right? <laughs> All right. Episode Andy Heck. Yes, no. Nah. All right. Uh, Pete Candle, 1996 first round, five seasons as a guard out of Boston College, 13 seasons in the NFL. No. Nope. Episode Pete Candle. Uh, episode Daniel Teo Nesheim of the University of Washington. Episode Rick Redman, two-time All-American. Listen to this. Went to Blanchett High School, then was a two-time All-American linebacker at the University of Washington, 63-64. Played nine seasons in the NFL. Was also a punter. He was a linebacker and a punter. (laughs) And he became a big-time real estate construction guy in Seattle. I think he's still alive and well. I know his son, Scotty Redman. They're they're big-time local pillars of the Seattle community. How about episode Rick Redman? Yes or no? I love the name Scotty. Just can't go with it. Just can't can't do it with you-know-who sitting out there. Ray Nitschke, one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Linebacker for 15 seasons for the Green Bay Packers? No. He was also, I didn't know, uh, a prevalent actor as well. He's got an IMDb, IMDb page with a bunch of credits. There is only one man or woman in the history of the earth <laughs> that has both won a Stanley Cup as a player and as an owner. Do you know who that guy is? Number 66 of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Why did he wear number 66? Here's your stump the band question. Oh, da, 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 da. There's a reason why he wore he number wore 66. He wore 66 for an absolute reason. Well, he wasn't born in 66. He's a little older than that. He won three MVPs. He won two playoff MVPs. He won six scoring titles. He, they, he was so good that the Hall of Fame waived the three years that you have to wait yeah, be what's out. The point, right? They just put him right in. <laughs> put him right in. Okay, so why did he wear 66? He wore 66 because his idol at the time was wearing 99, so he turned it upside down. Ah. The great one, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, was wearing 99. So Mario Lemieux said... In honor of my idol, I'll take the 99 and I'll turn it upside down and I'll wear 66. I like it. Interesting. All right. Episode, episode Mario. Is it Mario or Mario? I think East Coast people say Mario, but West Coast says Mario. So I don't care. Whatever whatever works. Mario Lemieux. Episode Mario. And if you want to go, by the way, to the Monday night football viewing party, I can't promise right this second because I'm giving until like Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, I'm giving the first shot to the patrons and those that were at the last one, but I may have some spots. In fact, I will have some spots. Can't tell you how many. If you want to go to the Monday night football viewing party with me, I'm telling you, it was more fun this past Monday than anything I've done in 25 years as a viewing party. You want to go to the Viking Seahawks viewing party where we close down Daniels' bar, the Rickhouse Whiskey Bar, and we have like 75 people with heavy hors d'oeuvres all night, drinks, like six TVs. If you want to join us, so just send me an email to Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. I'll be there as well. Can't wait. Episode Mario Lemieux is in the books.